Good morning. I'd like to call to order the Tuesday, August 15th, 2023 meeting of the Marin County Board of Supervisors. I'll turn to our clerk to have her take the roll and read about public participation. Supervisor Lucan. Here. Supervisor Sackett. Here. Supervisor Radoni. Here. Supervisor Moulton Peters. Here. Absent is Supervisor Rice. If you are joining us today on Zoom and would like to participate, please icon located on your screen. If you're participating by landline, please press star nine to raise your hand. When it's your turn to speak, your name will be called and you will be asked to unmute your device. When you are, if you are participating by landline, you will hear that you are unmuted. That concludes the instructions and I will pass the meeting back to President Moulton Peters. Thank you very much. Okay, we'll now move to open time for public expression for items not on the board's agenda today. If you have something you'd like to communicate uh, in the chambers, come on up. Uh, you have two minutes, and then we'll go online. Rodrigo Izquierdo. Yeah, good uh, morning. My Rodrigo. translator? Yes. So, um, Matthew, we have a translator this morning for Rodrigo, don't we? Okay. Translator is present. Great. Thank you. And so, as we discussed, we'll do two minutes and then two minutes of translation. Uh, si me permiten, quiero poner una grabadora que la puede explicar mucho mejor que, que yo. Nomás va a agarrar uh, 30 segundos. De refugiarse en lugar, el condado de Marin ha realizado varios cambios en las reuniones de la Junta de Supervisores. En cumplimiento a la orden del gobernador de quedarse en casa y para proteger la salud pública y evitar que la enfermedad se propague. La participación en persona en las reuniones de la Junta de Supervisores no está permitida en este momento. Puede participar en las reuniones de forma remota. Bueno, eso era um, instrucciones en cómo pueden uh, participar el público. Y lo que veo con tu oficial noticias que tienen en tu sitio web es que tú tienen dos instrucciones. Ese que oíste y quiere decir que el público que habla español no puede estar aquí y tienen que estar con Zoom. Ese es el que está, es of oficial. El otro que tienen so es... You, what I am saying is that those instructions that you heard is the recording in Spanish that would be heard by the Spanish-speaking public. And I see that the official... Uh, instructions in your website, you have two sets of instructions. And so that means that the Spanish-speaking public will not be able to participate here in person. They would have to participate via Zoom according to those official instructions. El otro que tienen es en inglés. Y dice que tú puedes nomás venir aquí y da el cuarto, 330, y puedes atender en persona. 
The other instructions are in English, and they say that you are able to come here and assist in person in room 630, and you're able to participate in person in the meetings. Entonces, el otro que tienen es también es más general y da instrucciones para los dos, inglés y español. The other instructions that you have are also more general, and they give out the instructions for both in English and in Spanish. Pero el de para español te punta en la dirección de las instrucciones que te dije primero. But the one in Spanish sends you to the instructions that I already indicated at the start. Entonces puedes ver que todo es muy confundido para latinos en, en qué pueden hacer o participar con tu re, reunión. And so you can see that this creates confusions, confusion for all the Latinos in terms of what it is that they can do and how they can participate in the meetings. Entonces también quiere con otras cosas, si pones todo junto, Tú puedes ver con las otras juntas que tienen aquí en el condado que también de veras hay muchas cosas que hacen para no poner los latinos en su, en su, para que puedan representar su comunidad. So you can see with all of this, along with all the other county meetings, that many things are being done in order to prevent Latinos from being able to represent their community. Como uno que tú conoces, que muchas veces ya dije, es la, la Comisión de Humanos Derechos. Like one situation that I've mentioned to you many times that you're well aware of, which is the Commission of Human Rights. So, veras, could, could you wrap up, Rodrigo? We've had your time. Okay, so entonces ves que también con ese y la otra uh, reunión de la ley 1185 que también no tiene representación. So we have that situation and we also have the meetings that are held related to the 1185 law, those meetings also do not offer any Latino representation. Okay, thank you very much. Eso, I, I think we, we, we understood. Thank you very much. Okay, next that is case. all. Thank you. Thank you. Morning, uh, Matt Butler here. I operate the San Rafael Yacht Harbor. I've been providing showers and bathrooms to the homeless people for in excess of 20 years. Um, I want to talk to you about the, the big fires in Hawaii and the devastation there. And if you look at the uh, coverage of it, you'll see it's rather flat ground, nice gridlock, gridlock, gridded out roads, and yet the community burnt to the ground. Uh, very similar to Coffee Park in Santa Rosa that a firestorm went through and uh, devastated the community. Yet, for some reason, our pl planning commission, appointed by you folks, believes that Marin County has a special fire danger that would, should exempt us from building ADUs and JDUs and desperately needed housing for the people of Marin. Um, major insurance companies would disagree that Marin County is special. Uh, State Farm, Allstate, not writing insurance in the state because of the high fire danger that is everywhere, not just in Marin County or Portola Valley. Um, 
recently went over to Damon Connolly's office to see what was he doing to further the legislation to build more housing and was told by his chief of staff there that we are not going to build our way out of this. And I found that statement very troubling. It seemed to be that would be the battle cry of a government official who wants to continue to wage California's 150-year war on housing. Certainly would appear that the uh, Planning Commission doesn't intend to build any housing and, and believes we're not going to build our way out of this. Unless you want to have 10 more Binford Roads and numerous homeless camps on every street corner and within every block, you've got to let start let people building housing. So uh, if that's your battle cry, we're not going to build our way out of this, why don't you put it on that wall right up there? we got to build our way out of this. It's the only way out. Anything else will fail. And we are failing. Failing. Thank you. If you'd like to leave your contact info, we'll send you a link to our housing element that shows we're committed to building housing. Next, please. Respond to the Marin IJ Sunday, August 13th article, Advocates for Seniors Push for Upgrades. Where were all the Marin County senior advocates after the BLM angry protest rally at our Nevado Slade Park on 7-11-20? Nevado police escorted 350 to downtown, allowed them to physically assault two targeted elderly women as Nevado police stood down. Watch the YouTube, Nevado BLM aggressors. The police escorted them back to my house, where a planned illegal riot took place. Verbal threats to harm me and my dog, then another stand down by Nevado police. The retaliation, corruption, threats continue as a henchman protected party house rental has terrorized me and stolen my sleep for years. Hundreds of venue style parties, 24 seven um, COVID spreading parties during the stay at home orders and much, much more. And a property owner allowed to storm into my work on May 14th and threatened me in front of witnesses who later called her very crazy, who was given a pass by Nevada police. I am white, they are not. County of Marin's posted Marin against hate statement for no tolerance sure didn't apply and doesn't apply to two elderly women or me that continues. Bigotry, racism, sexism, ableism, ageism, and more all apply to my abuse. Where is the money going to be allocated? More quotas like your appointments to boards and commissions? The equity and inclusion garbage never includes white seniors. Most of us are cash poor. We deserve equal rights. Instead, you stand down and serve us on silver platters to be abused and assaulted by others. I want every penny accounted for. It's time to support whites and white seniors. We're all equal. Kind of ironic since you're all white. Right, I'm seeing, is there anyone else in the chambers who wishes to speak? Sure, no problem, come on up. Good morning. Um, my name is Amaranta Silva. I'm a community organizer with Prime Voices Marine. I'm also a member of Prime Voices California. I'm just here to introduce myself, um, request um, respectfully a meeting with each one of the supervisors within a small group of parents from the county. And also I would like to um, remind the promise that they had last weekend um, to send a letter in support of HR 1115. And it is also a Senate bill, so um, you can follow up on that. But um, our main point it is to have meetings uh, with uh, the individual members so we can talk about the issues that they are having in the county. Um, you know, with the Fairfax Center, housing, um, domestic violence, this year we are not just advocating for childcare, we are advocating like in different aspects uh, that there are um, 
affecting our families. So we would like to work with the Board of Supervisors more closely this year. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Okay, let's go online. The first speaker is Nanette Savala. Please unmute. Good morning. My name is Nanette Zawala, and I live in Tam Valley, uh, which is an unincorporated part of Mill Valley and under the jurisdiction of the Sheriff's Department. Uh, I'm here today to thank you uh, for removing from today's agenda the Sheriff's request that you renew authorization of the military equipment use policy. When I learned of the extent of uh, the battlefield weapons and equipment in the hands of the Sheriff, I was stunned. Sharing this information with neighbors and friends living in Marin County has led to a collective feeling of alarm. Marin County is recognized as one of the best places to live in California. These weapons and equipment are completely unnecessary and pose an intolerable danger to public welfare, safety, civil rights, and civil liberties. The full extent of your duty under Assembly Bill 481 slipped through the cracks last year. This year, as one of your constituents, and also as a person of color who is painfully aware of how the militarization of the police disproportionately impacts communities of color, I look to you to consider the full impact of authorizing the sheriff's military arsenal. Your constituents are grateful uh, that you'll be taking extra time to do that and we are hopeful uh, that after doing so, you will reject the sheriff's request. It just doesn't make sense. Thank you. The next speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. It is said that the most important of all the lessons of history is that men don't learn very much from the lessons history has to teach. So it is with the recent traffic tragic destruction of Old Town Lahaina on the island of Maui. For those who have reviewed the photographic evidence of the aftermath of the Paradise California fires, the pictures from Lahaina are nearly identical. In each, we see houses destroyed to their foundations. Vehicles bear an uncanny resemblance of those of the Iraqi army's destruction along the avenue of death fleeing Kuwait City at the conclusion of the first Gulf War in 1991. It is evidence of an incendiary attack, the result of thermal munitions capable of creating temperatures far above the heat generated by mere wood fires. Lahaina was not a particularly wooded location, so where was the necessary fuel? In Paradise, California, houses and cars were completely destroyed while the extensive forests surrounding them appeared to be almost unaffected. The con this contradicts the official assertions that the fires were caused by natural factors. There is considerable justifiable concern that this was a directed energy weapon attack. The Paradise Fire has gone down the memory hole. Will this be the case of the destruction of Lahaina? Honoring the adage to remember to remember a thorough investigation is in order and not some self-serving government cover-up like in so much of the past. Thank you. 
next speaker is Jonathan Freeman. Please unmute. Hello. This is Jonathan. Uh, I mentioned last week that I was a co-founder of e-bike access, uh, which aside from promoting bike use on my own time for all, we have a mission of promoting safety of by and for all e-bike users. Uh, this past weekend, e-bike access decided to support strong legislation at the county level. Uh, the Mill Valley ordinance is far too weak uh, riders of class two, which have a throttle and 20 miles per hour top speed, must also be limited to those 16 years and older. But most of all, helmet use must be mandated and the use must be profiter. Personally, I'm serious about this issue because five or six years ago, trying out a bike, the rear wheel was caught in a rut. And I thought my hand would impede my fall, but I'm glad I was wearing a helmet. Shortly after that, I was hit by a van out on North San Pedro. Again, the helmet saved my head. Earlier this spring, Eric Lucan and I were up on a trail in China camp as a part of access uh, for bikes and my foot, my front tire decided to head off the trail into a steep ravine. Again, the helmet saved me. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm ED of in spirit. We help people with quadriplegia, and I don't want to work with kids who fall while using a class two bikes without a helmet. As board president of Youth Transforming Justice, I work with Don Connie, and we're finding out that tweens and teens miss valuable years of socialization due to the pandemic. Incidents such as Strawberry last fall, Terralinda high racial extension. San Antonio kids abusing Memorial Park and uh, means we have a tough road ahead on this issue. I urge a strong ordinance and I thank you, Mary, for your email last week and I'll be working on this issue with e-bike access and YTJ engaging and educating as you suggested, Erica. Eric, thank you, can you wrap up please? At the county level, which will improve Mill Valley's ordinance and lead the way for all municipalities in Marin Thank to you. protect We're our children time. from injury. Thank you very much. The next speaker is Linda Jackson. Please unmute. Good morning, Board of Supervisors. Uh, my name is Linda Jackson with the Aging Action Initiative. We're a, a group of professionals who work with older adults in Marin County. I want to share that we were very excited to see the IJ reporting about the most recent investment in equity training, this time for eligibility workers. After years of saying, please include ageism and ableism in equity training at the county, I thought this would be a step forward. I was profoundly disappointed to read that while this equity training adds a new and deserved group, impoverished families, there is a complete missing of education about the lived experiences and needs of older people. But this effort ignores the need for training about ageism for eligibility workers. What will it take to be included in the county's equity training? Who made this now intentional decision to not have UC Davis include ageism and ableism in this training program, even for this small group of people? We need to be meeting the needs of all demographics in Marin. 
It's not true that equity training about one group applies to other groups. The experiences of older people shows this is not true. All we're asking is to be included so that the most vulnerable, the oldest, the poorest, can all be well served by county staff. And I'll end by inviting you all to our annual convening. It's on Thursday, September 28th, across the street at Embassy Suites. We have uh, county staff speaking, and it's an opportunity for you and, and county staff to learn more about ageism and other ways to bet, uh, best serve the older residents in your districts. The theme is aging, it's the future, and we invite you. Thank you. Okay, thank you. We'll bring it back to the chambers. Good morning, Eva. Thank you. I wanted to recognize the comments of Mr. Izquierdo, uh, Mr. Butler, and Ms. Zavala. Um, I appreciate also, although I disagree with Mr. Butler's uh, build our way out of uh, this problem, um, he has demonstrated real generosity. I always hear nice things about him from unhoused people in San Rafael who have only been able to take a shower because of his generosity. Um, I did want to address uh, Ms. Zavala's comments. I, I think she left out something important um, in her concern about military equipment. Uh, military equipment has been used already in Marin County in some pretty um, horrible SWAT raids. Um, sometimes that's Mar the Marin County Sheriff, sometimes that's uh, neighboring sheriffs uh, doing SWAT raids. And I repeatedly asked for investigations of this and uh, they have not been forthcoming. I did want to point out that one of the problems Ms. Zavala is not, has not uh, mentioned is that your civilian oversight working group um, pr produced only very weak proposals. And it's clear to me that the reason they produced such weak proposals is that uh, they, almost every single member of the 15-member working group uh, had serious conflict of interest with the county or had close ties to law enforcement, and this was never disclosed. I had to send yet another uh, email to another member of the working group asking why they did not uh, indicate to us that one of the leads, Heidi Merchin, um, lives in the same house and has the same last name as the assistant Sonoma County Sheriff who runs that deadly jail. With regard to uh, SWAT raids, I also had to send a, a, an email to the IJ, which has not been responded. Uh, I don't have an answer yet. Where was the coverage of the SWAT raid, the deadly SWAT raid on Glen Swindell in 2014? Uh, that, that SWAT raid, um, it's, I get it. Give me 20 more seconds. No. That SWAT raid occurred in Sonoma. Please wrap we work up. very closely. Our Thank sheriff works very Sonoma closely County. with the Sonoma, Sonoma County okay, Sheriff. Okay, we're at time. Thank important you. Important that we get answers on that. Thank you. Okay, we're going to close public comment now, and we'll move to our next item, and that is Board of Supervisors Matters and Administrators Report. I'm going to look to my left at Vice President Rodoni. Um, nothing today. Thank you. Okay, Supervisor Sackett. Yes, I just wanted to share that um, as Marin County's representative on the North Bay Watershed Alliance, um, we met on August 14th and spent um, a great deal of time talking about the workforce um, issues within the utilities of sanitary districts and water. Um, and there's some creative programming happening. There's a, um, um, a 
internship staffing opportunity, um, working with colleges in order to get people enough um, wages to get through the process, and also just networking um, and a website um, called BACWE, B-A-C-W-W-E, that connect, that gives people um, profiles of folks who are working in these industries so that they recognize those as career ladders. Um, so it was a good example of an industry that's really facing workforce challenges, trying to come up with creative solutions, and I'm happy to share those initiatives with anybody who's interested. Thank you. Hey. Okay. Th thank you. Thank you. Okay, Supervisor Lucan. Uh, no updates. Okay, so I have three in the community. On Sunday, I attended a welcome community welcome for the Sausalito Mill Valley Superintendent, School Superintendent, Larisha Huffman. Uh, and that was a wonderful event hosted by the school district and President Bonnie Huff. Uh, Larisha comes from West Contra Costa County and I think has uh, uh, got a lot of uh, skills and experience that'll do the district a lot of good there. It was attended by community leaders from throughout the community. It was a great opportunity for me to network and catch up with people. Uh, the previous day, uh, Marin City Sausalito School held a back-to-school uh, backpack giveaway, and I'm very happy to say the Gateway Shopping Center was a, a large sponsor of that event, and so the shopping center is uh, showing their engagement with the community, and that's a good thing. And then finally, on Friday night was Creekside Friday with local bands and a lot of Tam Valley residents out there uh, enjoying uh, the evening. So that's my report. I'm going to turn it over to our county administrator. Good morning, Matthew. Good morning, supervisors. <clears throat> I just want to highlight a few amendments to the, to the agenda today. The first one, as the open time comment uh, reported, that we have removed item six regarding sheriff's military equipment policy. Uh, so we need to do some more work on that, and we'll come back at a future date. Uh, secondly, um, on item CA1CI, uh, which was just the notice of the recruitment for the first five commission, originally it, it read as due to a resignation. It should have read due to term expiration, so that has been amended online. And then lastly, we have received some letters regarding uh, item CA66A, um, which is the um, re request to reject regarding the Marin Veterans Memorial parking lot and North Campus Improvements Project. Uh, given those letters, we would like to remove that from consent calendar A and have that be the first item we hear at 1.30 this afternoon so that we can have DPW staff available to present the item and answer any questions you may have. Thank you very much. And now we'll open to public comment on the county administrator's report and the board report outs. All right, I see one person in the chambers, and then we'll go online. Pardon? Sure, we, we can. Uh, Rodrigo, are you planning to speak? Okay, why don't you go ahead. Since you guys uh, talk about what you do, I want to just say what I did this morning, and I went to the Canal Alliance to drop off some donations, some car seats that my grandkids have outgrown. And I found out that they also have a food pantry. That food pantry went around the block, around the block. 
These are people who are asking for food. They need supplements. I'm just wondering, uh, Supervisor Rodoni, Supervisor Satchett, why don't you talk about this? These people need food. You know, you have other issues where you talk about buildings of Marin City and, you know, you have the homeless um, uh, situation of campments. These are decent people who just need some food. Why don't you help them out? Why don't you start some kind of fund, some kind of supplement, some kind of program where you give the Canal Alliance some, um, some supplies to feed the people? These are your people. They don't vote. They don't vote for you, but they're human beings, and one day they're going to vote, and they're going to put somebody in there who is Latino in black, and all of this is going to be history. So why don't you do something kind of really humanitarian? These people need food. Please do something. The war on housing means we spend all the money on housing. Uh, Eva, I'm going to go to online. Okay, I'm not seeing any speakers online. There are no speakers, there are no speakers in the chamber. Okay, all right. We'll come back to the chambers. Thank you for your patience. Uh, I just wanted to to uh, include um, that I did run into Sheriff Scardina um, last week, um, and he we had a conversation. And he he had asked me, "Are you going to relate what I said?" And, and I I told him I gave him my word that I would, and so I did. I had asked him um, what he was going to do with the additional 2.86 million dollars that he that his department received. Uh, a week after you accepted the very weak civilian oversight proposals. And it is my understanding from Sheriff Scardina that, that it is very important to him that to relate that that is all going into things like salary and pension, which he is very happy about and he thought would make me happy and it didn't really, but um, I do need to report that out because I, I, I told him I would. Um, I, my second question to him um, last week was whether any of that money, because there is a small amount of money going to the uh, to the sheriff coroner office, um, I asked him if he would be using any of that money to digitize uh, the coroner logbook so that it would be accessible, and he said no, and I saw an opening, so I, I said I would be happy to do that, uh, you know, for the county on a pro bono basis at no charge, because I think that's a, that that those public deaths are a matter of public record. And they're, they're important to be transparent and that you shouldn't have to go there to, to look at this ancient logbook. Uh, most counties have this stuff digitized. And um, Sheriff Scardina told me that, you know, politely declined. Um, but the, the offer stands. Um, and I, I have written uh, quite a bit about that at uh, marincountyconfidential.substack.com. There are new articles uh, coming up this week, but the last article deals a bit with the matter of the coroner office and the over the opioid overdose uh, overcount. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, seeing no more speakers, we'll um, close public comment on this item and go to consent calendar uh, A and with the change uh, that our county administrator has announced, uh, are there any other changes or issues here? I'm not seeing any any public comment on consent A. 
Okay. Okay. Yes. Consent A. I'm just curious. The Marin County Cooperation Team that was on last week's consent calendar. Is it anywhere on uh, A or B this week? Uh, was that pulled last week? Eva, is that I think it was pulled last week. Was it not pulled last week? No, I, I don't know because I wasn't here. It was my understanding. Uh, Mr. Heimel, was that pulled? So it just passed on consent? Okay. Uh, that was a little confusing. I, I do think it's important to note that um, once again, we're seeing money moved out of the public sector and to private uh, NPOs. And I, you know, it, it does concern me because, for example, if money is that used to go to the Marin City Community Services District is being moved to this Marin County Cooperation Team, which is already uh, getting money from Marin Surge and other kind of questionable sources, and I note that uh, two, of this, two of these groups, these NPOs that are getting money from Marin Surge and apparently getting money from the county have very close links to law enforcement. That is Marin County Cooperation Team and that is, um, that is also the, uh, Marin, the Multicultural Center of Marin. Um, these should be scrutinized more closely. Uh, it, when money goes to the Marin City Community Services District, the public has a vote in that because they elect those officials who decide what will happen. When it goes to Marin County Cooperation Team, it's someone who's not even from, the person directing that is not even from Marin City and has uh, also hired someone who's part of his extent, uh, apparently he married the uh, niece of one of his uh, guys that he's moving money from the county to that guy who also happens to be on Sheriff Civilian Oversight Working Group. And it just seems like you've created this morass of people who are insiders while the people who really need representation are shut out of the process. Thank you. Thank you. We're at time. I don't see anyone else in the chambers. I will move approval of consent A with the correction to the uh, first five commission vacancy as well as the polling of CA6A to the afternoon. All right. We have a motion. Is there a second? Second. Thank you. Uh, motion Lucan, second Sackett. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, that motion carries. We're moving now to consent uh, calendar B. And um, I'm actually, Brad, if you're willing, going to invite Brad Gross from RBRA to uh, comment on one of the items uh, that is on consent B because there's some good news. This is consent B1E. And this is a request for Episcopal Community Services uh, a contract with them to provide housing-based case management services. Um, and uh, I think Brad has some good news in terms of how some of those funds are going to be used. And I'd like to just give him an opportunity just to say a few words, Brad. Nothing. I know you're not prepared. That's okay. Thank you very much, uh, President Walton Peters. And I, let me just say, Brad is the director, uh, executive director of the Richardson Bay Regional Authority. Welcome. Again, thank you very much, uh, members of the board. Brad Gross, Richardson Bay Regional Agency. Um, I have some exciting news talking about the housing program that was initiated um, last year with a generous grant from uh, work done by Senator McGuire of $3 million to house the uh, members of the Anchor Out community that want to do, seek those services. Uh, 
we received the funding in uh, May, finally, and or I'm sorry, in March, finally. We started the program May 1st, and I'm really happy to report that there are four voters that are participating with uh, 11 voters in the queue to participate. Um, three voter voters have had vouchers issued, and two of those voters that have had vouchers vouchers issued will be submitting applications for housing today. So I anticipate in the next couple of weeks we will have placed our first anchor out in housing as part of this program. And I really just wanted to extend my thanks again to the Senator's office, to this board, uh, President St Moulton Peters, you were instrumental in getting us the funds and this is a big success for us and we're really happy to report. Thank you. Thank you for that, Brad. I appreciate it. That's good news. Uh, I'm going to ask if there's anyone who wants to pull anything from Consent B or comment on it at this time. Not seeing any in the chambers. Is there anyone online? President Mom Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay. We'll bring it back for... I'll, I'll move Consent B. Second. Thank you. Okay. Motion uh, by Radoni, second by Sackett. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. Consent B is approved. Thank you. We'll move now to item number five. This is, and uh, I'll let uh, our county administrator tee this one up. Good morning, supervisors. Uh, we have prepared our response uh, for the grand jury report regarding the district attorney's office. Um, as you know, the district attorney's an independently elected officer and she has full discretion over the prosecution uh, functions of the district attorney, although we have a shared interest to make sure the justice system is working well. And I will say I'm happy and thankful that she is working with our office to address these issues. So we're collaborating with her, and I, I think our response reflects that. Um, you know, briefly, we are agreeing with um, that there's a substantial backlog in the criminal cases. Uh, we also are agreeing, and the, the DA agrees as well, that there would be value in doing an organizational review, looking at staffing levels and business processes going forward. So we will be going forward with that recommendation, as well as quarterly reports uh, to both my office and, and the board. And so I'm happy to answer any questions. Once again, I, I do thank the DA for working with us. And I will report that we have recently seen some improvement in the backlog and a reduction in the backlog as we work through that backlog. Um, so happy to answer questions. Questions from my colleagues? Okay, please. Hey, Matthew, I know we're, we're gonna be doing some of these organizational assessments. Um, rough time frame and then what would be the report back, I assume just through your administrator's report um, as we have that information to share with the board and the community? Yes, so uh, we are looking to issue an RFP in September for the organizational review and our initial estimate is that that will take four to five months. Um, and so probably sometime early this year we would report out on the results and bring back any recommendations that come from that report and we can schedule it as a uh, you know, policy item at your board's calendar. Wonderful. Thank you. <clears throat> All right. We'll open now to public comment. Is there any public comment here in the chambers? If so, come on up to the podium and then we'll go online.
I, I appreciate that this is actually on the agenda. I, I would like to point out that many years ago, I started requesting the arrest demographic from the district attorney, um, and she gave me 32 years of um, arrest referred to prosecution broken down by race for every single law enforcement agency in the county. And I just want to point out that while the, the uh, grand jury has taken the time to look into uh, various things lately, um, it remains uh, this, this, this very severe racial arrest disparity in Marin County uh, remains a, a taboo topic, uh, apparently, uh, for the Board of Supervisors and even for the Grand Jury. Um, as well, it is also a taboo topic for the Human Rights Commission, uh, the chair and the vice chair having served on the uh, very conflict of interest laden uh, Sheriff Civilian Oversight Working Group. Uh, if you haven't heard this before, I've been saying this for years, but uh, what we found when we crunched the numbers from the District Attorney Office is that on average, over a 32-year period, 1989 through 2020, um, three different law enforcement agencies uh, dealing with Southern Marin, so the Sheriff, Mill Valley PD, and Sausalito, all three of those law enforcement agencies arrested black individuals on average over the 32-year period at over eight times their demographic presence in the county. That blows away any county or parish in the Deep South, and uh, that, that, that still isn't on the agenda. And it seems to me that a lot of the, like some of the lawsuits and some of the attention on the district attorney office, um, that's good, that's positive, that there's, there's, a, there's a spotlight, there's some investigation, but this is, a, this is an ongoing, very long problem, and it, it needs to be on the agenda for the Board of Supervisors. You, you should take an interest in it. Thank you. Is there any other public comment? Okay, Rodrigo, I see you. If there's anyone else, please, I'd like you to come forward and line up, and then we'll go online. Since the subject is the DA in backlog, I talked to her about enforcing the Brown Act, and that's just a minor uh, issue. Uh, it just, uh, it's the Brown Act. It just rules on behavior and it does have a fine of um, either $1,000 or six months in, in jail, which no one enforces. So in a way, you have something where you have a law that no one's going to pay attention to. So why have a law? You're not going to pay attention to it. You know, dealing with the Brown Act, and I mentioned before, that the Human Rights Commission simply is chaos. They don't follow the Brown Act. They even had violence, violence, pushing and spitting and a mob scene from Novato that comes down to attack uh, a journalist. No freedom of speech. You all heard about it. A, a sheriff's report was made and you don't do anything even though you cannot enforce the law, you could remove these people. They're not elected. You could remove the chair. You could remove the vice chair if they encourage and permit violence and chaos and a mob scene. Why don't you remove them? It means that you concur with them, that you are, it's really okay with you 
you have the right players in place and they have an agenda to intimidate the rest of the commissioners into submission. All right, seeing no one else in the chambers, we're gonna go online. I see Clayton Smith has his hand up. Please unmute. Looking at this report, I was surprised that um, in all of the stats, I didn't notice anything concerning the priority uh, by severity of the offense. I mean, how many of these people uh, awaiting uh, trial are there because of victim victimless drug crimes? How many for minor property offenses? And how many are actually there for violent uh, felonies, particularly um, uh, a, a battery offenses against the other people? And another thing came up in my mind looking at this is once again, the LPC of COVID policies come to light. Um, what could you who mystically called the gift that keeps on giving, uh, how they disrupted the whole process of governance, uh, particularly with, I think, regard to uh, uh, the jury and the trials going on at the civic centers. Uh, and I hope again that this lesson will be learned. Another thing is how many of the VAs left because they wouldn't take the jab? Um, this is a question that uh, I encountered uh, earlier on in 2021 with the number of people that left law enforcement and the fire services in the county because they didn't take the jab. They wouldn't take this poison that Fauci had on offer and that you were mandating to people. Questions, questions, questions again. And then how many uh, left as a simple uh, consequence uh, that um, they were just using their positions in their uh, district attorney office as um, training for um, uh, future advancements in their career. Is this unusual turnover or is this just uh, turnover we're finally coming to notice? Thanks. The next speaker is PJ Pepper, please unmute. Thank you and good morning. I'm speaking to urge you not to concur in or adopt the proposed response as is currently written. I'm sure you all could immediately recite that the burden of proof for con criminal convictions is beyond all reasonable doubt. It's something most adults are all readily aware of along with the presumption of innocence, innocence until proven guilty. Just as important is that the reason we all accept such a standard, its premise and justification, is how serious an imposition it is on the rights of a person in a free society for the government to forcibly jail them. The response to finding two is one example of the response's pervasive, unserious treatment of the issue. The finding states that people are waiting, quote, an unreasonable length of time for cases to be resolved, in many cases more than a year. The response partially disagrees, stating that while cases should be resolved as quick as possible, the board can't determine what is unreasonable. It's not difficult to determine issues highlighted by the report are unreasonable. Our state and federal constitutions guarantee the right to a speedy trial. California statutes say that that means people held in jail should be brought to trial within 30 days of arraignment for misdemeanors and within 60 days for felonies. It's one thing to disagree with the causes, to try and focus on how best to address the problems, but it's farcical to deny there is a problem and ignore the substance. <clears throat> Think about the 199 people the report states were incarcerated while still awaiting trial. 
79% of the jail population, 52% of whom had been in jail for more than 90 days, 37% more than 180 days, and 20% more than a year. The report requires a response from the board and additionally invites a response from the county administrator. The staff report includes as an alternative that the board may amend the suggested response. I'd like to ask that if the Board of Supervisors feel strongly that it'd like to move forward with these responses, submitted as the response from the county administrator. Then the board could have the responses more seriously considered the substance and intent of the report, its findings and recommendations. Consider again the burden of proof. There's no higher requirement for proving a matter at law, and that appropriately reflects how seriously we should all take the matter of incarcerating people and holding them in jail before any verdict. Thank you. Peters, there are no additional speakers in this case. Okay, I'm gonna bring it back to the board now for additional discussion and deliberation. Ms., please. Yeah, so I just first want to appreciate the grand jury's report on this and, and digging into this issue. Um, recognizing that COVID has had an impact on all operations, um, new electronic records in the court system has had a significant impact on all of our justice partners and that there's been state law changes um, that have impacted how um, both the, the district attorney and public defender's office um, are handling issues. I appreciate, uh, Matthew, your sentiment that this is a shared interest. Um, you know, we, we have a shared interest in having a justice system that functions. Also that we have, um, I believe we have a shared interest in public safety and also um, a shared interest in our county employees who are working in the district attorney's office. So I appreciate this report, what it has highlighted and that it, it, from my perspective, feels like we are dedicating a lot of resources to try to find solutions and, and um, help out the district attorney's office to more um, streamline pieces of their work, um, but also recognizing that there's a lot of those pieces that can't be streamlined in particular on the, um, you know, some of these criminal law changes. So I am happy to move the, um, the adoption of this response and that it be submitted to the Superior Court. Thank you. Um, yeah, thanks for the report. Um, I agree with my colleagues on all our statements. <clears throat> you know, I do think that uh, I'm looking forward to the quarterly reports, though, to see some progress, because I can't forget that each individual that's in the jail, um, some of them certainly may be innocent until proven guilty, and spending a year in jail to hear that that conclusion is really too long in my mind. So. Anything we can do to correct that, I appreciate it. Thank you. Vice Lucan. Uh, I also concur with my colleagues and the, the uh, responses that we have. Uh, this is a, a, a larger system, um, and it's important. I think the county plays a very vital role in ensuring that it is a working system and something that we're taking seriously and looking into it and doing this uh, uh, organizational assessment and lending resources where we can to the district attorney's office and any other. Um, offices involved in the criminal justice system is an important role for the county. Uh, I think we need more information and that's exactly what we're, what we're gonna do and, and allocating resources to get that information so that we can uh, help improve the system uh, and for all of those that are involved in it. So I'm appreciative of the response and the work of the grand jury um, for uh, the concerns that they have brought forward and uh, it's, it's um, definitely a high priority for us here at the county. Thank you.
So I'll um, weigh in with my agreement with my colleagues, and thanks to the grand jury for bringing us to this and for the district attorney for working with us. I'm aware with, uh, from my conversations with our county administrator how much time and effort has gone into uh, working with uh, the district attorney on uh, solutions and pathways forward, and I know that we'll follow through on that. So with that, we've had a motion from Sackett to adopt the report. Second, is there a second? second? Okay, a second from Lucan. All in favor? Aye. 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 Thank you. That carries. Remember, uh, more housing equals less crime. Remember that equation. We're on to uh, the next item, this request from the Community Development Agency to approve an addendum to the contract with Community Action Marin. Good morning, Lili. Good morning, board members. Lili Thomas with the Community Development Agency. I'm also joined by Genevieve Hong-Kurt, who has been overseeing this contract on our behalf. Um, the item before you this morning is to consider adding additional funds to the contract with Community Action Marin for emergency rental assistance. And in response to the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, the County of Marin has received over $33 million in emergency rental assistance from U.S. Treasury and state funds. These rental assistance funds have served over 5,500 households, the majority of whom are extremely low income, which mean, meaning a household of three earning no more than $50,000. The fund stabilized existing renters, prevented eviction and homelessness among some of Marin's most vulnerable families who were impacted by the pandemic. Since October of 2022, Community Action Marin, or CAM, has been administering the emergency rental assistance and providing related housing stability services on our behalf. In total, the contract of 7.9 million funded post-COVID rental assistance and housing support services and there was no net county cost as these <coughs> funds were passed through grants. Um, CAM closed the wait list on August 1st, and there are currently 463 households on the waiting list. However, the remaining 885,000 in the contract is not adequate to serve the remaining households on the wait list. Staff recommends, recommends using unobligated American Rescue Act or ARPA funds to address the most critical needs. Um, there is 1.3 million of the ARPA funds, and a portion of these funds, or all of them, could be used for additional rental assistance. The first option that we have in front of you is, is adding $650,000, um, which could serve about 108 households, and there's a couple of different ways that could be um, uh, used, kind of focusing on the existing wait list or on eviction, and we can go into that in more detail if your board would like. And our second option is adding um, the full amount, the 1.3 million of funding, which could serve approximately 217 households based on the current average, or almost all of you know, uh, with the existing funds and and this funds, we'd serve most of the existing wait list. And there's some different ways that we could um, present that or, or prioritize those funds. And as we are considering these funding options, it may be helpful to hear some, some of the impacts um, to recipients as provided by CAM. Um, there's a story that they provided um, from a landlord. Um, when my tenant fell behind on his monthly payments, he had nowhere to turn, he had little money, ill health, and desperately needed help. Your program came as a godsend. The rental assistance program has also benefited me as an owner and manager as well. 
Um, and so I think it's important, like this person is a senior citizen, um, so the impacts go beyond the renters. They are also assisting our, our housing providers. Um, and so the, the recommendation, again, before you is to consider the amount and approve the addendum to the contract um, and uh, authorize the county administrator to sign the contract once we for formalize the amount. And we are happy to answer any questions that you may have. Uh, thank you for the update. Um, I was wondering if you know anything about the wait list and whether some of the people on the wait list have actually been there uh, since the program started. I, I don't think that I have information about the how long some of the people have been on the wait list. Um, we do have information about the breakdown of their incomes with the about two-thirds of the current applicants are extremely low income. There's a significant number, over 120 households, who currently have an eviction notice. Um, but I don't know if we have that information. Do you, Genevieve? Okay. Yeah, we could look that's, that's into okay. that. But that's yeah. okay. Assume that there may be some. There, there okay. could be, yeah. And I was wondering, um, talking about the 30% AM, 30 AMI, could you put that in layman's terms and describe yeah. who that is, what that yeah. income is, and what that might look like? Yeah, sorry. So for a household of three, a family of three, it's uh, they're earning no more than $50,000 to be considered extremely low income. So many of those are local workforce, people who are working in our local restaurants. You know, um, It could be a, a preschool teacher with two children. Um, but there's, you know, a senior citizen on a fixed income or some of the examples of people that they've served with this who are extremely low income. Thank you. Any other questions? Here, please. Yeah, uh, thank you so much, Lily. Um, I'm curious with the options A or B, um, are we being, how prescriptive are we in these recommendations or is it more just a preference? I, and I ask because I'm concerned if we, if we make an eviction notice a requirement to get it, are we creating an opportunity whereby, you know, landlords are rushing to issue an eviction notice just so they can get reimbursed, as opposed to general guidance, but allow some flexibility uh, for CAM to make those those right decisions. Right. So your options are around adding the funds. If you want to dig in and add additional priorities, I think that obviously that's an option that we wanted to present to your board. Uh, you know, my personal recommendation is that we rely on Community Action Marin, who is the expert and has been serving this population long before, with rental assistance long before this. And so having them set the priorities um, and I think that there may be somebody on the phone that can help answer, that is joining us from Community Action Marin. But yes, I, I think that you, you could, if you want to dig in and add some additional options, I think we wanted to show you this is how these funds could be used on the wait list. And we can add those prescriptions if we want, or we can just say, Community Action Marin, you can fund you know, within the existing wait list or not with however much funds we add to it. Gotcha. No, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, because they're, they're going to be the experts in, in who to serve and how to serve. And I think with that, if whatever dollar amount we, we do end up with, 
Um, is there additional data that we can get as, as this does wind down? Um, you know, my concern is, are, are we, are we backfilling rents and now the individual is, is ongoing, sustainable, issue is solved because back rent has been paid? Or are there, I imagine there's other individuals that maybe have a permanent loss of income, are not on that path to sustainability, and you know, how can we have some flexibility with that as well so that we're, we're using the funds the, the best way possible to ensure long-term viability in the housing situation? Yeah, I, I think that you know the goal is to prevent eviction and stabilize households. There, you know, there was some funds that were were used for counseling, for case management services to help people, if possible, get into sustainable housing situations. But the reality is, if you are a low-income renter in Marin, you're struggling in the open rental market. Rents are are often too high for low-income households to afford. So I think that that is the, you know, framing it within that reality as much as we can, I think is important to remember. Um, that said, the impacts of the pandemic are still, you know, if you were an extremely low income household who's paying, you know, 50 plus percent of your income, as many of our extremely low income households are, a loss of income for two months, for six months, et cetera, has a long ongoing impact. And so I think that it's important that we remember that this is, is still in, though many of these households are still impacted by the pandemic and are, are digging out. So um, as much as possible, Community Action Marine is, intend is um, um, working with households to be in sustainable housing situations, but it isn't always available. All right, thank you. So my uh, follow-up question, Lily, is uh, this option that, uh, with a focus on eviction prevention, can you just describe a little more what, what that looks like? I think we're talking about shades of gray here, but I also want to understand, because that sounds like a more forward-thinking strategy than just continuing what we're doing. Yeah, so right now, um, CAM is processing applications uh, with households who are at 30% of um, income or less, they've been prioritizing those for in the past few months as the funds have have been um, winding down and they're prioritizing people who have an eviction pro in the works. And again, um, the way we're using eviction is the broader term, kind of the way Matthew Desmond used it in his book, where it's somebody who has received a notice uh, that they will have to pay or leave, right? So it doesn't mean that they have an unlawful detainer filed with the court. So it's the broader term for eviction that we're, that we're talking about in this term. And um, so they, they, they will continue to do that with the remaining funds that they have, the 885,000 that they're processing people on it. Uh, one way that they could do it is opening, reopening the wait list and only serving people who have an eviction notice. But then there is the concern that, um, uh, that that um, it could be that people are getting eviction notices in order to get assistance, right? So I think that allowing community action we're in the flexibility of making sure that they are working with the wait list that they have. They did a significant outreach saying to people, get on the wait list, it's gonna close, we have limited funding available. So I think that in some ways they've made a commitment to those households who are on the wait list with the understanding that there may not be funds to serve them all, but. Okay, so, but now I'm gonna step back. The, 
Matthew? No, I did want to point out that we do. It does appear like Cam is on the, okay. the on the video, and so could be called upon and may have some insights on some of the questions you're asking. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So good. I want to give them that opportunity, but I want to understand. So this is limit finite funding that we're talking about, right? So what happens at the end? No matter how we parse this, what happens to the families who face eviction? Well, I think that we should ask Community Action Marin what their sense of that is, but the households that have not been served, who are not, you know, who, who haven't been able to be served will go through the typical process. There's, there is some rental assistance available in the, you know, typically, and I don't know what the status of those other sources are, so it'd be good to hear from them about that. You know, there was season of sharing. There's some other rental assistance that is available. I don't think that it's enough to serve all of the households at risk, but some households, I assume, will be able to negotiate something with their landlords, and some households may lose their housing. So, that, so that's where we are when we come to the end of these funds, however we use them. And so that's my objective. I think it's everyone's how do we maximize the benefit from these funds. So I'd love to... Um, Give Community Action Marin a chance to weigh in on this if this is a good time. Let's bring him in. Yes, Al, could you bring in uh, Cam Admin Zoom, please? She's not here. Yeah. I think we need some more volume, please. Or please speak up. We can barely okay. hear you. Thank Hi, you. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, this is Gina Gilmet. I serve as the Chief Strategy Officer with Community Action Marin. Great. We can hear you. Okay. So I uh, appreciate the discussion and the questions on this really important topic and the, the board and um, considering this request for additional funding. Um, as has been stated, People of low income in our community face a real challenge um, with cost of housing in Marin and just the reality of that in, in, in the Bay Area, frankly. And so our priority as an agency, um, as Lily has outlined, with these funds has been to focus on those of lowest income that are at or below that 30% of area median income and also um, considering those who face eviction because we know um, that people of low income, if they lose their housing, are very unlikely to be able to find additional replacement housing in Marin, and the majority of them will be displaced and leave our community. And I think um, we certainly believe, and I know many others, that is not what we want as a community for a variety of reasons, the human reasons, um, our economy reasons, the important part of our social fabric, families, community that, that folks of low income are. And so our recommendation is that the maximum available funds be added to this program to address need and really as an anti-displacement measure. We know that long-term, this is not a solution to the housing crisis, that there's a lot of issues in terms of um, the production that we need, the protection of ex existing housing and also tenant protections. And those are the policy changes that we also need, but NEREP has been really effective in helping people stay housed and stable and, and dig out of the hole from the pandemic. 
um, and that that's an important strategy for anti-displacement in our community. So our recommendation is for that focus on those with lowest income with the remaining dollars um, that we have, and I'm happy to answer any other questions. Thank you. Any questions? Just Gina, I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about once this program ends, what types of programs were available pre-COVID and how many members of the public or how many residents they may have saw a month trying to get a comparison to what we're trying to come to grips with now, which is over 400 people looking for rental assistance and how that would look pre-COVID uh, per month, say, how many families would you be look, uh, would you be entertaining that are actually looking for help for rental assistance? So if you could, hopefully I'm explaining that enough, if you could. Yes, yeah. um, it's a great question. I, I, I don't, I'm not able to break it down by numbers per month, but I can give a general sense of it. So um, prior to the pandemic and this funding be av being available, there are other smaller sources of rental assistance um, that we and other agencies provide to the community. And actually as part of our announcement of the waiting lists um, coming to a close in partnership with the county, we put together uh, essentially a, a information sheet that's on our website and distributed and others and available in multiple languages to point people to those other sources. The challenge is that they represent a fraction of the need. So for example, at the season of sharing, we receive an allotment, I believe quarterly of that funding it is much more restrictive in terms of who is eligible to receive it. So ERAP actually filled a gap that some of those other sources did not fund in terms of who it served. An example is um, for people who are um, subleasing, so are sharing housing with others and need assistance, um, other types of ways that those other funding streams are more limited. So there are um, resources, but they, don't come close to meeting the need that we have in Marin. So it is a challenge. Um, and so I think this and other strategies for the kind of community members that we want to make sure are stable and remain in Marin so that we can have the vibrant economy and community that we want to have. Um, this has been very important. Any, any idea of a dollar amount per year that might be available for those kind of programs pre-COVID? I'd be happy to look into that. I'm sorry, okay. I, don't, I don't have that information. All right, thank you. Gina, I have a follow-up question. So again, I'm interested in understanding eviction prevention, and you mentioned that you would be focusing on those uh, at 30% AMI, and I'm gonna second what Supervisor Rodoni said, let's use dollar amounts. I think those are more meaningful in the future, but what, what, what are, is the focus on eviction prevention? What does that look like? as opposed to just continuing what we're doing, or, or is it all the same? So uh, I just had somebody messaging me who's listening who said that the total of season of sharing is about $30,000 countywide um, that's available. Okay, thank 300, you. 300,000, sorry for that, $300,000 countywide season of sharing per year. So as you can see, that's a fraction of what um, is available through ERAP. Um, I think in terms of eviction protect, uh, prevention, part of the work that, um, that our coaches do with folks who are exp experiencing housing insecurity who are of low income is really to 
to look at the housing situation, to look at what um, their funding will allow and the choices that they're able to make with that and, and really trying to help people find housing that is stable, that is something that they can afford. But the, just the realities of the market, just doing the math of, of folks of extremely low income, um, they're paying increasingly high percentages of their rent, um, their income towards rent. So the eviction protection is really helping people get stabilized. I think that's one of the ways that ERAP has been successful is as people in the pandemic lost income, um, helping them to regain that kind of equal footing where they don't have past due rent owed, that they're able to cover their different bills and remain stable. And they might make choices to do that with you know, families doubling up. We know that that is a common thing that people do um, to afford, afford housing, but really focusing on that, that plan. And again, which is why I raised that there's funding for services, which is important to meet immediate need and anti-displacement, um, which is something that we strongly support, but that we do need bigger policy and systems changes if we want to prevent displacement, prevent eviction for low-income population in particular. Okay. Thank you. I'm going to bring it back to my colleagues. Uh, unless, Matthew, is there anything you or Lily want to add or, or Genevieve? I, I just wanted to note that we probably need to go to public comment. Those other. Good point. Let's do public comment. Uh, good morning. Raleigh Katzman, Association of Public Employees. I'm um, here to speak to advocate that you put in the full amount, the larger amount that Ms. Thomas uh, identified, and also to make the observation about the number of things that government at the federal, state, and local level have done over the last few years to, in a very positive way, affect the lives of people, uh, low-income, poor people. Um, and sadly, now that COVID is over, we're not going to do that as much. So, uh, anyway, in contrast to the 2008 Great Recession, where Lots of people lost their homes through foreclosure, not through eviction, and we didn't really do anything to stop that. We've spent lots of money in this country to prevent people from being evicted, renters. We've expanded health care to poor people, and we dramatically reduced childhood poverty, uh, all of those under the ARPA Act and other acts, even under the previous administration. And now that's lost, uh, I guess, any public support because we're more worried about Deficit. So, just an extra comment, but I would encourage you to put in the full amount because it's that many more people who will be helped. Thank you. I want to talk about. I want to talk about a little bit of history, which I hope does not exist anymore. And this involves, again, the Human Rights Commission. In 2015, the Human Rights Commission started a, a program of going to the communities and asking them what are their needs, what are their problems. So, and, and this was in the canal area. Are you, you're making this relevant to this discussion? Yes, it is, yes, it okay, is. Okay, let's get right and to it then. Concerning um, that, and that, uh, what she said, on evictions. And so they mentioned that this group, giant group, said that they had issues with landlords. 
with mold, with health issues, that their kids were getting lung infections. And so they mentioned this as a group to landlords. And guess what? All of them were evicted. So I'm hoping that this is history and it doesn't apply anymore. So if you have addressed that, that yes, you have some form of stopping some eviction versus yes. a group, then you're doing some progress. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, last commenter in the chambers and then we'll go online. I want to agree with the comments of Raleigh Katz. I just want to point out that so much of these concerns about deficits are because um, our, our leaders in our own party um, continue to fritter away money uh, on, on uh, big military expenditures. And we also- Okay, and back tax, to the matter at but, hand, but please. To the matter at hand, the, the, the lack of funding and the, all this discussion about funding, if we went back to an Eisenhower era tax rate, we would have the money to actually rebuild our infrastructure and take care of all this stuff. And it's important to keep in mind that, thank you. All right, are there any speakers uh, online? Yes, first speaker is Johnson Reynolds, please unmute. Yes, uh, jo Johnson Reynolds, yeah. I live in the canal, I'm currently in Maui with my sick sister, but I'm returning to the canal in September. But yeah, this is a concern that uh, I ha have and many people in the MOC con contingent as well as uh, other people that are supporting people that have difficulty paying rent. Uh, that's been going on now, uh, continually now, various uh, jurisdictions in, we're in, as we know, uh, making sure that people have the, the money to stay in their houses. We need these people. These are service workers that need uh, to have uh, a place to live and to work in Marin. We don't want to send them out to other counties. We don't want to have them be homeless. Uh, I, I, of course, recommend that uh, you pay the full amount that's needed. Uh, but I see that uh, maybe I'm, I'm missing something, but uh, 650000 for 108 households and $3 million for 217 households. That doesn't meet the 463 still on the waiting list. So uh, I don't know how we continue to provide money uh, to, to, the, to the renters to pay back rent and or uh, to pay continuing rent. And we may need to come back again and, and get more uh, uh, money to help these people stay in their homes. Uh, but as much as we can do right now is, is very important. I know there's other funds besides the uh, 650,000 and the 3 million, but Let's do that, do what we can do, the total amount that we can provide to at least keep the 463 on the waiting list uh, in their homes. Thank you. The next speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. Here we are again, more Operation COVID consequences, a permanent dependence on government handouts from renters and landlords and this was totally predictable. The epic federal deficits cannot continue indefinitely without leading to national ruin. So why didn't anyone see this coming? 
It's more of what I said earlier, failing to learn from the lessons of history. Is it possible that you might take away some wisdom from all of this uh, and not um, submit to repeat it in the future, completely disrupting the organic functioning of the economy as happened under Operation COVID has an endless stream of negative outcomes. Next time, I hope you will avoid the authoritarian impulse, notwithstanding the short-term political benefits, and take the long-term perspective and don't buy into its temptations. No more lockdowns. Something for nothing is never a sustainable option. The endless ability of the federal government, the source of this funding, which has allowed it to buy this political favor. Can we focus on, on this topic, Clayton? To would you focus on the topic, the please? I'm finishing my comment. Its ability to extract wealth from the rest of the world. This is now coming to an end. And we are going to have to, all of us, learn to live within our means. Thank you. The next speaker is Lucy Hollingsworth. Please unmute. Good morning, this is Lucy Hollingsworth from Legal Aid of Marin. We urge the board to vote for the maximum amount of continued emergency rental assistance funding for Community Action Marin. More than half of Legal Aid of Marin's current eviction caseload is due to non-payment. Many are on the wait list for ERAP and those landlords are getting justifiably impatient. Low-income tenants in this situation have two options, avoid an eviction on their record and move, or hope their landlord will agree to let them stay if they are able to pay back rent and sometimes attorney's fees. Both options are set up for failure. Moving often means leaving the county or moving into cars and encampments. The other option to pay back rent by adding $50 a month to their rent bill is also often unsustainable for a low-income family. Finally, many of our clients have experienced a 10% increase in their rent last year and a 9.2% increase this year. Rental assistance is a critical piece of eviction prevention, along with other anti-displacement measures that make housing affordable. Thank you. President Long, do you declare an additional speaker to make this? Okay, thank you. I'll bring it back. Is there someone who'd like to lead off the discussion? Oh, sure, Luke, come on up, hurry. Good morning, Supervisors. My name is Luke Barnsmore. I'm the Director of Strategy with the Home Match Program, part of Front Porch Communities and Services. Uh, first, I just want to thank the CDA and CAM for this excellent work. I think we should make the full investment in the emergency rental assistance. I hear the questions about what happens next, and I think ERAP, rapid rehousing, some of these subsidy models assume a short-term loss of income <coughs> or increase in cost, and that once housing is stabilized, those things will be addressed and then be able to go on paying the rent. I, I'd love to encourage you to look at shallow rent subsidies and other longer-term ongoing subsidy models that are designed to address, say, the needs of older adults who are living on a low fixed income. We're not going to see that increase in income over time. Uh, BAFA's upcoming bills would be one great way to support that. I would also recommend taking a look at generating some local revenue here in the county to be able to support those efforts because I think we're not going to be able to do it with existing streams of HUD funding. Thank you all very much. Thank you. <coughs> Now we'll bring it back. I can start if you like. Sure. <clears throat> um, it's no secret I've been advocating for more rental assistance almost from the beginning. 
uh, just understanding the need in the county was quite great. And I think the fact that we serve 5,600 households is really a great achievement. And I can't forget that's 11 or 12,000 residents probably when you multiply that by 2.5, which I think is the per household number we use. So it's a lot of people that this program has served. There's a potential to serve a few more. And I've been advocating from the get-go, and I wanna thank Matthew and the budget team for actually identifying this federal funding that was left over from all the other expenditures we had. And I thought it was a perfect opportunity to add that to the rental assistance program, just because there's still at least 400 plus people on the waiting list. And if we can serve half or more of those, and I think it's something we should do. And it's a perfectly, uh, it's a perfect way to expend this money, I think, because it was intended for this sort of use, COVID, uh, post-COVID, you know, recovery. And so I'm advocating for the full amount, the 1.3, and I'd like to leave it open and op an option open that uh, CAM sort of meets the highest need of applicants and figure out how to do that, be it evictions or whatever, because I think there's, they're gonna have to make a lot of hard choices as it is, and if we start restricting it, it's gonna make those choices a little harder. So that would, that would be my wish and I'll end my comments. Um, I appreciate the detailed analysis that's come through. Um, I, and I appreciate Supervisor Lucan's question about the definition of eviction. Um, I think it's really important that it's the broader definition rather than sort of forcing folks into the unlawful detainer because that does have a ripple effects of many other consequences um, and makes finding subsequent housing even more difficult, um, let alone going through the court process. One of my concerns with this is is around legal services, and I appreciate Lucy Hollingsworth calling in from Legal Aid because I do feel like in renter protection issues that having representation is crucial with very complicated um, um, laws regarding evictions across our jurisdictions that are different even within Marin County. And I, I think it's really hard to navigate. And so, you know, what I'm trying to weigh is what, what's the biggest bang for the buck, frankly, and how many people do we serve directly with rental, serv rental services, and is there an opportunity to serve more folks by providing other more broad um, services such as um, legal services? Um, I do, and then also just looking at the fact that the this is the end of federal and state money. We don't anticipate any other dollars coming. How do we kind of, I, I think the need is not gonna end given our shortage of housing stock and um, the cost of living here. And so how do we sort of <laughs> weigh all of those issues to come up with the best solution? So I am leaning towards option 1B, um, provide leaving us with some opportunity to support other um, areas to protect our residents. Um, and, and just realize this is a difficult question and, and the solution to me is not crystal clear. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that, thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, 
it, it's never easy to wind down uh, programs like this, um, but it, fortunately we have an opportunity to, to wind it down with a, maybe a bit of a, a, of a softer landing. Uh, I think when we first started talking about this, looking at the draft options, I was leaning towards option one um, and looking at how can we use the remaining funds for, for some other uh, assistance, uh, financial um, planning, literacy, um, you know, what, whatever it is to make sure that it's sustainable in the long run. Um, but the more that I'm looking at it, I'm, I'm actually starting to lean towards the full amount. Um, and with, without a very prescriptive um, uh, plan for Community Action Marin, I, I think they're well suited to make those decisions uh, based off of all of the work that they've done and the engagement that they've had with individuals that are needing rental assistance. I do think we prioritize the most vulnerable. That doesn't, you know, and sometimes that might be in somebody that's facing an eviction notice or somebody that's low income, um, but it's not necessarily one or the other. Um, so I think we kind of give them that, uh, that liberty to make that decision. Um, I do hope that as we, as we start to exhaust all of the funds, um, and I'd, I'd love to um, just give this in general to Community Action Marin, is uh, where does it make sense to give full rental assistance and where does it make sense to give you know, maybe 80% rental assistance and then use some additional funds for some of that financial planning, financial literacy to make sure that those renters have a sustainable path moving forward. Uh, I don't have that information. I'm not in a position to make that decision on a case-by-case -case basis, but I think Community Action of Marin uh, is. Uh, also, you know, how, however they can prioritize, you know, youth and families um, as I think about individuals that are potentially facing eviction or losing their housing at the same time the school year is about to start. Um, you know, I don't know that you can prioritize a family over an individual, but just something that's top of mind for me uh, as school is about to start. So with all of that being said, I'm leaning towards the, the full dollar amount um, uh, with the flexibility uh, to use the funds to uh, those that are truly the, the most vulnerable. Um, so I'm curious to hear from my rest of my, the rest of my colleagues. Sure, okay, so I'm gonna go next. Uh, you know, where I come out is I, 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 it's clear there's, there's need beyond the funding that we have and that we've got to find a way to divvy this up in a way that's fair and does the most good for the most people. Uh, so I'm, I'm okay with considering uh, an additional funding source, but I'd like to term it as up to $1.3 million. I'd like to have quarterly reports that come in from CAM uh, that give us information on what they're doing uh, with check-ins to the county so that as we approach, uh, you know, exhausting the funding or well before that, we, we have some ability to really look at what we're doing because at the end, that's all that we're going to have. And we've got to consider uh, the off-ramp to whatever the status quo is going to be. So again, I, I could see doing up to $1.3 million working with CAM, with the quarterly reports, so that we understand how the money is going out and what seems to be the best uh, value, you know, the best use of the funds, the limited funds we have. Yeah, if I could suggest that we make that a monthly report, though, because I think they're planning on spending 650000 a year, uh, a month, as it is, so yeah. it would be okay. would go right. much quicker. Quarterly may not serve okay. us. So. Yes, if I may, as you, as you guys are crafting a motion, it seems like there there's a majority of the board that would support the 1.3 million, and it it would be option 2A with a bit of a amendment to say uh, CAM would have the ability to prioritize the most vulnerable, including those who are at risk of evictions and other circumstances or something like that. 
and then uh, to account for Supervisor Moulton Peters, uh, I think we would ask for a report at the end of the probably two months will be the the amount of time it will take to expend those final 1.3 millions, and we could get a report about how the funds were used and a breakdown uh, for your board if that's consistent with what your direction is. So we expect them to be spent down that quickly then, within two months. Okay, so this is really a go-no-go, no go, which is I was not clear on. Yeah, um, sorry, supervisors. They're spending about $650,000 a month. Is that correct? Approximately $650,000 a month. So they would be done, you know, within probably three months at the most. Um, but we would anticipate. Okay, then, then I would really be interested in recommendations for going forward because Cliff is sooner than I thought. And, uh, Supervisor Sackett, I want to go back to you for just any further comments. Um, I, I can, you know, I can join with the board in the, with the up to 1.3. I think that's, a given that we'll go to 1.3, and I guess I just question whether we should reserve some for other potential needs that um, we have for folks who are precariously housed. Um, and and does that look like authorize, you know, one million to address this existing wait list and those who may otherwise rise to eviction status in the meantime and preserve $300,000 to use for other uses um, for folks. Can you say I, I, I guess partly I, 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 I want to put out there that, you know, we, we have services for rental assistance within HHS and from other areas, but we've never had the level of funding for rental assistance, uh, you know, that we had around this and where we received $30 million for our renters. And so, you know, this is really transitioning from that extraordinarily high level of support for rental assistance. And then we're coming, coming back to our traditional sources of rental assistance or rapid rehousing and those programs. And so I did want to put some context. It's like this, it, it, it will, there will, there are not enough local funds to support this funding the way it's been supported the last three years. And so, so I think we can look for what's the best way to deal with this post-federal relief, but I did want to give some context about the kinds of things we'd be looking at. The other thing I did want to share with what the fund had been used for before um, the COVID relief reserve from the ARPA funds had been used for the encampments, you know, uh, around support for the city encampments. It's been used for the legal aid, and we currently have a contract with legal aid that's from this source that will expire at the end of uh, this current fiscal year, which is about $215,000, and it also has been used for the additional support for nonprofit uh, providers through the community services and nonprofit partnership program. So that's been what those funds have been used for over the last three years, just to give some context of what the funds had previously been used for. May I jump back in? So, I mean, I guess that is the piece, frankly, to me, the legal services for the folks that we aren't going to be able to serve everyone and ensuring that people have legal representation, whether it's 
you know, one-on-one -on -one representation or in a, you know, guidance and sort of um, here are your rights information, I think is really crucial because there's going to be people left um, that aren't going to get the rent. And it's not an easy system to navigate for anyone uh, at all. It, it, whether you're in the city, whether you're in the county, it's complicated. And so I'm concerned, I guess, about having this cliff of, of we know that there's going to be people left and and not having significant buckets. Um, and I appreciate the rapid rehousing um, and community of sharing or season of giving, I guess, and some of those other things. I think those are important and maybe we need to think about those funding streams, but I'm concerned, frankly, about the legal services piece of it, but we, we don't have that answer right in front of us of whether you know, what we've given through the end of the 20, so it would be the 23-24 fiscal year that that was allocated. So if I could just add, um, thank you, Mary, for those questions. You know, we do have an option with the legal aid contract when it comes around again. Last year, they did ask for more, for additional funds, and we didn't provide it to them. Um, you know, and it, all the existing rapid rehousing rental assistance programs that were existing in existence, Pre-COVID will still remain in existence. They just don't fund at the level that the federal funds have allowed us to fund. So I'm a little less worried about the transition because I, I see this as the more people we can get off the wait list, the less people we'll have to deal with at the end of the at the end of the the, um, the time the money runs out. So I think so I think spending this money for this purpose is a perfect good reason because all the programs in place pre-COVID are still in place when this program ends the end of this year or whenever it is. And so um, there may be a little more need initially, but hopefully we'll get back to a more normal scenario. Um, and again, that's why I asked how many, how many people were you serving a month? I'd love to know from HHS, the rapid rehousing program, how much money we've put into it, what funding's available, how many people they served, because I think that will indicate what the normal business might be more like. And, um, you know, so, but I, but I am comfortable that if we spend all of this money, we do have some uh, funds or funds available for other enhancing other programs as we need to, um, because this is just a one-time opportunity, I think, for this federal funding to actually support this rental assistance uh, to the max to whatever we can do. So, sorry to. Uh, no, I, I would just add to Supervisor Sackett's point. I, I think it's very clear we we do we have a cliff uh, that, that's coming, and uh, I think there's an opportunity in this, given the historic amount of uh, funds that have been given uh, to rental assistance, as we wind this down, to know exactly how high and how steep that that cliff is when it comes to an end. So, whether there is an opportunity to use some of these funds for community action Marin to. Um, and, and maybe they were already planning to get this, but a, a, a debrief as the program comes to a closure. Um, I would like to understand, as, as we use these funds, how many individuals now have stable housing for a year, how many individuals are at risk of losing their housing again in six months, three months. I don't know if we can get that type of information, but I think that would be very beneficial to this board uh, to have that information uh, as we wind this down so that we can make those next level policy decisions. But. Uh, we need we need to have that that data. I would like to note that the, as part of this contract, it included some housing support services to do case management, um, et cetera. And we have a little over 
$300,000 left to do that. So those, sorry. Right. So those dollars are still available as part of that they can use for the remainder of the time that they're on the under contract. Yeah, for the yeah. Work and with some out, we can also maybe get a, a, a broad, you know, overview debrief of the program and individuals that have been served and whether or not they're in stable housing, at risk, at risk at what period of time. I mean, it doesn't have to be a scientific study, but maybe just some general um, buckets. Yeah, I was just uh, saying to Lily, I think, you know, given that it's likely to wind down over the next two to three months, maybe we could get monthly reports from CAM so that we're, you know, kind of monitoring that. That and it would be inclusive of the additional funds as well as the remaining housing support service funds. I, th I think that'd be very, very helpful for mm -hmm. future policy decisions. Yeah, I, I do too, Eric. You put that much better than I would have. But I want to understand: Do we? What is the funding for legal aid right now? I mean, I think Mary makes a great point. At some point, I, to me, I don't have information that tells me that people that we supported with this, these funds so far are in the clear and are never going to face eviction again. So to me, this is, we're not finished. And that's what I'm very uncomfortable with right now is, okay, we pass out all the money, and then what? People are back in the same place, absent Eric's analysis. So given that, what, Matthew, what are we spending on legal aid? Is there a source yeah. of funding to do what Mary said to do? So prior to COVID, we would provide support for legal aid anywhere from twenty-five to fifty thousand dollars, like our nonprofit partnership program type funding. Um, <clears throat> during COVID, we increased that fund to support uh, the addition of a bilingual attorney as well as a bilingual paralegal. So that was roughly two hundred and fifteen thousand dollars a year. And so for the last three years, we've funded that. Um, from from the COVID relief funds, and so that's what I would mention that at you know the end of this year uh, that contract expires, and we would then need to evaluate what w our support would be ongoing um, going forward. But previous to that, our funding support was less than fifty thousand dollars a year, and I see there's some co comments around the side. <laughs> Lily augment that. Yeah, we also w wanted to note that through the Community Development Block Grant Program, we typically fund them about $35,000 a year in addition to the funds that Matthew has mentioned. I would just add that this is just the last federal dollars. It's not the last dollars that we have in our budget, and the other things will come up, and we often have one-time choices that we make with one-time dollars. So um, I'm comfortable there will be plenty of opportunities to make some choices address some of these issues as we go forward because they still will be there no no doubt we're not going to avoid future problems but I, I again am am asking for the 1.3 because I think we can address many of the people on this list which hopefully will put them in a better position so that they won't be a future need for the county and if you're going through I'll make a motion to that effect I don't want to cut you off. No, but I would rather see us approve, up, uh, you know, as I said, up to 1.3 with some consideration for strategies when we unwind this program or what does that look like. And I'm thinking 200,000. Just just cut, set it off that at, when we hit the 200,000 left mark, we revisit what are we doing to make sure we've got a path forward and we have the funds. So, but sure, go ahead and make a motion. So I'm looking at staff. Is that something that... I was going to actually just make the motion based on 
Matthew's last comments, one, up to 1.3 of funding be used for the rental assistance program with monthly reporting and also a uh, end, of, end of rental assistance summary uh, providing data to us who, who is still out there and who needs who may need the assistance and what the possible success of this program has meant. That and I'd make that motion, but I'm sure Matthew could. No, I think that's that's clear. I guess I'm trying to understand the up to 1.3 million, and then the the 200,000 that would be available. You know, so when we enter a contract, it's up it's up to 1.3 million. So that that can be clear, and it will be based on the monthly reports. Uh, but you know, given the demand, I don't want to set an expectation that it will be less than 1.3 million. Um, and so that's why I was pointing out that they. The you know, as far as some of the legal assistance or financial planning assistance, there is still $300,000 available. And so I think it would be really a twofold strategy where there's 1.3 million, of, up to 1.3 million available for rental assistance. And then there's how those three, those remaining $300,000 for supportive services are used as this program winds down. So I'm ju I, I just want to make sure you know there's clarity with the board of how we're going to administer the contract, and and if it's, if that's not correct, then you know. You have flexibility with that three hundred thousand to sort of redirect what they may be doing with it. There's some fairly you know there's there's guidance on how it can be used. There are U.S. Treasury dollars, and there's you know support services are defined in in that. Um, funding source, but within that funding source, it's, you know, legal support services is an option, case management, et cetera. So I think that it is addressing the concerns um, that we've heard from you. So I'll try again then. Um, I'm going to move that we approve the $1.3 mil of funding for the rental assistance program without stipulation, just meeting the highest need of applicants and let CAM decide what that is and then direct staff to work with CAM on the $300,000 fund to um, come back with a glide path for, for renters once the rental assistance money has, dis has gone, including data on who they served and what the success of that program might look like. That's a long motion, sorry. <laughs> and, and not to add to the long motion, but would the maker of the motion be, I, I, when you first mentioned, you also mentioned that kind of end of program summary with some data to come back, would that be included in the motion as well? Yes. Uh, I'll, I'll second that. Um, motion Rodoni, second Lucan, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. Thank you. Okay, we are on to appointments. The first one is the Human Rights Commission. This is District 4. Yep, I uh, would like to thank Gloria Castillo for her service and would like to reappoint her as my Human Rights Commissioner. Second. All right, we have a motion and a second. Is there any public comment on this item? And her appointment, not the Human Rights Commission. Yes. Um, regarding her appointment, I, I think you should have taken public comment first. Um, Ms. Castillo has missed several Human Rights Commission meetings, and the commission itself appears to be in disarray. I do think it's a conflict of interest that she is a county employee. I know she's done some good work uh, with Canal Alliance, and I respect that. 
but stalking the Human Rights Commission with county employees and uh, people who are clearly favored by the county. I am asking you to investigate the conflict of interest um, having uh, uh, Curtis Akins as the vice chair on the Human Rights Commission. Okay, he this has, is about uh, This Ms. is important, Castillo. Stephanie, this is important. Um, Mr. Heimel explained to me that there was no conflict of interest in the $3.4 million uh, a contract awarded to Charlie Drezzo because Charlie Drezzo did not receive money um, from that. It was only for his nonprofit. But it appears that Mr. Akins is receiving money um, through Marin County Cooperation Team, which you just funded to the tune of, I think, 142000 or something um, on consent. And there was no public discussion of that. And it was very misleading. Um, last week, uh, we were informed that it had been taken off consent. So I think there should be a closer examination of uh, conflicts of interest, um, and I am asking for for uh, an examination of that particular conflict with Mr. Akins. It would be okay to continue to have county employees on the Human Rights Commission. Um, what is not okay is not explaining these that there is a conflict, and also not having uh, representation from the rest of the community. For example, if you expanded this very um, broken commission, um, you know, which has a very corrupt uh, history with Ken Casey, with the Ponzi scheme, if you expanded it to be to have the commissioners elected from the, the communities that most need the representation, it could be a functional uh, commission. Thank you. Thank you. Next speaker. Matt Butler, once again, a brief comment. Uh, I believe housing for all is a basic human right. I believe when a government infringes upon that right and restricts it, bad things happen. I think your entire agenda here is full of those bad things that are happening. You are up to your neck in problems caused by restrictions on housing. I would hope that uh, Ms. Castillo believes that the right to housing being infringed upon and restricted is the most serious human rights violation affecting all of Marin. And I would hope that the Human Rights Commission recognizes the deprivation of housing, the restriction of housing, and the exclusion of housing to the chosen few as the source of our great morass that we are in. You are up to your necks in a problem caused by restrictions on housing. I, I, you have my sympathy, but every agenda item here is caused by lack of housing. Thank you. Hi. You know, I wish that you would stop uh, rubber stamping everything that the, the Marin Human Rights Commission does. There seems to be no objection to absolutely anything they do. Now, the appointment of Gloria Stephanie to Latinas is fine. I had high hopes. But, and I try to give them some history so they could participate better. And I told them the history of how once upon a time the Human Rights Commission fell apart. And it was because of two alpha personalities intimidating the rest of the commissioners. They happened to be the men versus the women. One of the women was Shelley Scott. 
the women all resigned and the Board of Supervisors dissolved the Human Rights Commission and we and so restarted it again with less power. No website, no complaint process, and you put in two personalities who are well-connected from Novato, and they are, again, in my opinion, alpha personalities that intimidate absolutely everybody. You heard their connections as to you know what they, what they have, what they didn't disclose, and now you have these two Latinas, you have Gloria, who I haven't seen is really kind of, well, she should be well-versed by now, but she's not participating. Her attendance is bad. Her participation is bad. So is there, you know, she belongs to a district. You're not coaching her as to how to assert herself against these alpha personalities and actually accomplish something for the Latino community. Okay, I'm not seeing anybody online. We will bring it back. Uh, we've had a nomination and a second. I'll second the motion to re or to appoint um, Gloria Castillo. I think Eric did that. Oh, so sorry. Uh, <laughs> we have a motion. Uh, Fredoni is second. Lucan, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, Library Commission. I will move the um, appointment of Sally Hauser as the District One um, uh, to the District One seat on the Library Commission. Second. All right. We have a motion and a second. Is there any public comment on this item? I'm not seeing any in the chambers. Is there any online? Trustee Mom Peters. There are no speakers. Okay, we'll bring it back. We have a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. That passes. We will now recess to close session. See you at 1.30.
Okay, good afternoon, everyone. We're going to reconvene as the Marin County Board of Supervisors. We just come out of closed session. There's nothing to report. We are going to pick up this afternoon uh, where we left off this morning by hearing uh, consent item number CA6A, and uh, our Public Works Director is here to present that to us. Thank you, President Moulton-Peters. Um, Rosemary Gaglioni, Public Works Director. The subject here is a request to reject all bids for the Marin Veterans Memorial Auditorium parking lot and North Campus improvements. On June 20th, your board approved the advertising of this project. On July 25th, five bids were received. The submittal section of the project technical specifications uh, re did not require certain submittals of, of certificates for experience in permeable concrete. But the electronic proposal form did not provide for entry of those submittals. So none of the bid submittals included the required certifications and qualifications as per section 32.13.43 at the time of bid opening. Since the bid documents were unclear, the fairest, the fairest approach is to give all bidders an opportunity to rebid the project with clear bid submittal instructions. And therefore, since the board does have the right to reject any and all bids on a bid project, we are recommending that you do so today. All right, thank you. Any questions on this item? Move straight forward. Any public comment on this item? I'm not seeing anyone in the chambers, anyone online? Yes, we have uh, Christopher Bond, he's on mute. Hi, good morning, board. Yeah, this is Christopher Bauman on behalf of Bauman Landscape and Construction. You know, what, I've, uh, what we have uh, reiterated a few times um, to the department is that um, the, the bid form did not include the permeable concrete specification. So this minor irregularity or deviation doesn't affect the outcome of the bid. It, it doesn't matter, essentially. And since it doesn't matter, the board taking its uh, broad discretion and rejecting all bids creates an appearance of favoritism to other bidders, and that's against the contract code. If you review view the bids again, Bauman's bid is actually responsive because it lists a subcontractor who has the certification. So again, nothing what nothing's going to change if you rebid the project. Bauman's bid is responsive; it's within budget and uh, it should be awarded. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I'm not seeing any other public comment at this point, so we'll bring it back here for discussion and a motion by the board. Any further discussion? All right, is there a motion? Well, uh, I would say in, in light of the comments we've received, I think, uh, makes sense to go with the staff's recommendation to reject all bids, so I'll make a motion that we do so. Okay, a motion by Lucan. Is there a second? Okay, motion by Lucan, second by Sackett. All in favor? Aye. 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 Okay, thank you. We will now recess as the Marin County Board of Supervisors and reconvene as the Marin County Flood Control and Water Conservation District Board of Supervisors. Good afternoon, Tracy. Hi, thank you. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. We will um, open now for public expression. This is uh, on items not on the agenda today. Is there anyone who wishes to address the board on, on, on the flood control item? 
Yes, it's flood control. It's not the uh, it's not the new CVA regulations. Those are later. Well, why don't you come on to the podium, Jack? Members includes flood control mm. as well as sea level rise. So, uh, <laughs> if you can direct me as to when I should be doing that, uh, you can do it now and then later. Okay, go ahead. Okay, um, uh, we we all are familiar with uh, the inevitable of uh, floods and uh, sea level rise. And uh, back in uh, um, 2002, uh, after attending uh, many meetings, I prepared a summary, uh, one page, which has, I believe, been provided to the members of the board, uh, specifically referring to changes that were being proposed and have since not Changed. I found out a few days ago, and regarding the, uh, the 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 code section 22, uh, and I attended a and provided uh, uh, my comments, uh, focusing on that during a webinar that was held uh, that included the board as well as the planning commission regarding the. Uh, Title 22 of the Development Code. This is very serious. It is very important. It has not been changed. It will affect people like me, not only in Southern Marin, but throughout all of Marin County, which includes, of course, Novato, San Rafael, uh, Sausalito, Mill Valley, and, of course, uh, along um, West uh, West Marin. Now, the, these, the changes that I proposed and I asked you to evaluate will have major legal and economic impacts on owners of waterfront property. I'm one of them, <coughs> uh, and other property as well that will be uh, related to sea level rise and as a result of the special purpose and combining the district chapter 22.14 Mr. Crystal. and referring also to pages 11 to 64 through 11 to 66. Okay. So we're out, of, we're out of time now, Mr. Crystal. Why don't you come back when we take that item up a little later this afternoon and continue? Very good. Right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Okay. Any Board of Supervisors matters? Not seeing any. We'll go right to the manager's report. Hi, Hi there. I just wanted to make a note. I did have a PowerPoint presentation. I don't know if it's available. I can do my presentation without the PowerPoint. But okay, great. Thank you. Um, I don't. Let's just leave it here for the first item. But for the for my report, hi, my name is Tracy Clay. I'm the division manager for the Flood Control and Water Resource Division. Um, first, I'm going to talk about our maintenance activities so far this summer. We are complete with our fire fuel reduction program that started in June and we finished it in July. And uh, we have started our creek maintenance work 
um, in July, and we're going to be continuing that through October 15th. Um, our pump maintenance projects are well underway. Um, we have pulled eight pumps so far. Excuse me, this is pretty close. We've pulled eight pumps so far, and they're inspected and being repaired right now. Uh, and we have scheduled installation prior to September the 15th. And we have a Zone 3 Investment Strategy Subcommittee meeting tomorrow at um, 1 o'clock, Wednesday the 16th. And we will be working with the advisory boards over the next month, confirming the fall advisory board meeting schedule. And we will report back to you in September when we come back to your board. That's all I have from my uh, manager's report. Expect your slides to advance while you're giving uh, the report. No, I just wanted that one. That one now covered. I need the next slide. I think we lost them. OK. Um, but. This is the next item. I see. Okay. Uh, any questions uh, for the manager's report? I'm not seeing any here. Is there any public comment on the manager's report? All right. Thank you. Okay. Then let's move on then to uh, item 10D. Okay. Um, I'm ready for the PowerPoint. Okay, the, this is uh, item 10D, it's Montrose Environmental. This is a professional, in service, a professional services agreement um, for monitoring post-construction at Paper Mill Creek in Novato. You wanna, next slide please. Um, this Paper Mill Creek is a stormwater improvement project that rebuilt an inlet to a culvert with a better trash rack and wing walls and berms. And I think this, specific contract that we're talking to is talking about is for um, is for mitigation monitoring post-construction that's required by permits and you'll see this theme over and over again as I go through the agenda today our requirements are getting more and more stringent this was a very simple project um, we cut down six trees because the wing wall of the project uh, had, was there were trees in that alignment we had to replant the trees on a five to one ratio. Um, that means we had to replant 30 trees. And, um, and luckily we were able to find a site in Pacheco Valley Preserve, working with Parks and Open Space to plant these trees nearby. But um, due to our permit requirements, we have to monitor this for five years. And um, because of this, we're asking you to, to award this contract for a five year term. So next slide. So this is the recommendation we have before you today, and I'm not going to read it. This is a format I'll go throughout the rest of the presentation on the recommendations so you can have them before you. And, but one thing I will point out, this is a $60,000 contract because we cut down six trees. So <laughs> that's, I'm just, I'm, it's, this is an education for all of us. <laughs> Are you saying that's a substantial amount or not a substantial I feel like it's a substantial amount of professional services, but it's what it takes to do the work. Six years of monitoring and reporting for um, permit requirements. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so is my understanding you're going to go through all of these slides for all of these separate items and then we're going to vote one at a time on each? Yes. Or? Okay. All right. Well, then that, that concludes this item. Okay. Uh, any questions on this item? 
Nope, pretty straightforward. Are you gonna get open space at parks to mo do the monitoring, or is this what Montro does? That's what Montrose does. Okay. All right, great. Ten, okay, Tenny. Open time, well see, this is why I'm confused. Are we doing these one at a time like normal, or yes. are you presenting them? Okay, yes. is there any public comment on this? On this item? Okay, on this item. <laughs> Yes. Okay, we have one in front of us. Something that came to mind, and which is along with the extending the oversight, will the warranty for their work continue for that same period of time? Okay, we're gonna close public comment. Tracy, we had a comment at the podium. Will the warranty for the work be for the same time frame as the contract itself? Yes. Okay. okay. I'll move this item. Second. Great. Motion to donate. Second. Lucan, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Tenny? Okay, great. Next slide, please. Next slide. Okay. Um, so this is the first of three Sunnyside Basin Board actions that you'll be taking today. This one is um, a notice of completion for the Sunnyside Basin contract with, with uh, Gelati Brothers. Next slide. So uh, this, uh, this basin, as most of you know by now, is a key component of the San Anselmo Flood Risk Reduction Project. And the action today it marks the completion of the Gelati Brothers contract. I'm gonna, next slide. And today, these are the three actions we're asking for you to take today. And that's the end of my report. So you would like us to execute the notice of completion, direct the clerk of the board to record the document and authorize the release of retention 30 days following the action of $220,000 to July Brothers. That's good, you can enumerate those the next time that would be helpful. I would, I would be Fabulous, to. okay, any questions? No, any public comment? Okay, any other? Thank kitchen. you, we'll bring it back. Is I'll move the that we approve item 10E. Second. Motion by Sackett, second by Rodoni, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. That passes item number 10F. Next slide, please. Okay, this is the second Sunnyside Basin Board action. It's for the mitigation planting CEQA addendum. Um, similar to the Paper Mill Creek project, now that construction is complete, we, our environmental permits require that we do mitigation planting. The mitigation planting required for this project was larger than uh, what was available on the actual Sunnyside Basin Detention Basin site. So we had to go to an offsite location to do the mitigation. We worked with um, the permitting agencies and did an extensive search. Um, and finally, we were able to come along the, uh, decided to select the San Geronimo Common site. Uh, the work that's the subject of this CEQA uh, addendum, is primarily to plant riparian vegetation along a narrow band of creek uh, next to in San Geronimo Commons. The offsite 
location was not considered in the original environmental impact report for the safer project so we did an addendum to evaluate effects of the mitigation planting we found that there were no new or substantially more severe significant environmental impacts that resulted from this project and there were six comment letters were received but none resulted in changes or impacts to conclusions so next slide sorry next slide so our recommendation today is to approve the attached resolution adopting the mitigation planting addendum to the San Anselmo flood risk reduction project final environmental impact report and to approve the off-site compensatory mitigation planting project consistent with the addendum to the San Anselmo flood risk reduction project final environmental impact report great questions not seeing any public comment none in the chambers any online second okay motion with Donnie second Lucan all in favor item 10g okay so this is the final Sunnyside Basin Board action today we are proposing to use the San Geronimo common site for off-site mitigation planting this site is owned by the trust for public lands so we are currently working on an agreement with the trust for public lands for mitigation planting described in the prior item once this this agreement is executed we can proceed with procuring services for mitigation planting to allow us to keep the project moving and to get the plants in the ground prior to the winter rains we are asking that your board delegate authority to the district director to sign the agreement once the agreement has been reviewed as to form by County Council in addition to the cooperative agreement we're also working with TPL on a lease that will give us control of the land for the duration of the permit five years with an opportunity to extend that's going on right now it's not the topic of this action this is just an information piece for you we're planning on returning to your board in September attached to that lease agreement will be this the executed cooperative agreement that you're acting on today and that will be available for your review for information at that time so next slide let's see where are we keep going next slide next slide so the action we're asking for today is to delegate authority to the district director subject to County Council review to execute cooperative agreement by and between the trust for public land and Marin County flood control and water conservation district for use of the San Geronimo common site for environmental compensatory mitigation for the San Anselmo flood risk reduction project contingent on an action by your board approving adoption of the safer final environmental impact report California Environmental Quality Act CEQA addendum this item thank you is there any public comment on this item okay not seeing any of the chambers 
Trustee Long Peters and Mr. Peters. Thank you. Okay, motion by second, second by Rodoni. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. Great. Okay, 10H. Next slide. Okay, this, um, this item is a budget adjustment for flood zone nine. Last construction season, staff reduced the baseline budget for interdepartmental changes to cover project expenses. Today's recommendation, recommended adjustments will reinstate appropriations required to cover staff time for the last fiscal year. So next slide. So the recommendation today is to authorize the Department of Finance to increase interdepartmental expenditure appropriations in the amount of $400,000 in flood zone nine. Any questions? Nope, straightforward, any public comment? I'll move this item. Second. Okay, motion Rodoni, second, second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. 10 aye. Next slide. This is the uh, fourth amendment to professional service agreements with MGE Engineering for Building Bridge 2. Next slide. So uh, this amendment will add scope and budget and extend the agreement until December 31st, 2025. It will uh, help us develop final construction plans and provide construction support. Uh, NG MGE has the uh, specialty of structural engineering and that will be the venue that they'll be working for us in. Next slide. Here are the recommendations for t this item. Number one, we authorize, number one is to authorize the president to execute this fourth amendment to professional services agreement with MGE Engineering Inc. Increasing the amount of the contract by $30,000 for a new total not to exceed cost of $150,598 and extending the contract period through December 31st, 2025. And the second item is action is authorize the Department of Finance to increase expenditure appropriations in the amount of $30,000 in flood zone nine. And that's Thank you. Okay, uh, any public comment on this item? Lieutenant Mullen Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. Okay, would somebody move this? I'd like to. Yeah. Certainly. <clears throat> Tracy, last month when we met, I thought I heard it wasn't certain whether the BAPL was needed. So are we just doing this as a, uh, just in case we're doing the design? Yes, uh, that's our, our preferred method is to go without BAPL because we realize the full benefits of the project immediately. However, we um, there are some things that may be beyond our control uh, that we wanna have this as an alternative in case there are some unforeseen circumstances that arise. Dennis, would you be willing to move this? I'd like to move this, thank you. Okay. Second. Thank you. A motion, second by Lucan. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. That brings us to 10J. Next slide. This item is for a creek maintenance agreement for Raphael Meadows. For the 
for the last, um, since 2012, next slide please. Uh, since 2012, Flood Zone 6 has been helping the city fund creek maintenance activities in Rafael Meadows. Uh, Rafael Meadows or Flood Zone 6 is completely inside the San Rafael city limits and um, that's why we have, and that was uh, annexed after the original creation of the zone. Um, but over the course of the last several years, the uh, city has been, the cost to do maintenance work has increased above the amount that they've been getting compensated by the flood zone. And recently we were informed that the, a the average annual cost of maintenance for the city was $35,000 a year. Uh, we were only reimbursing them around four, uh, $4,000 a year or some smaller amount. Um, and the advisory board recommended increasing that amount up to $28,000 a year for five years. Okay. Um, <clears throat> next slide. So the recommendation before you today is to authorize the president to execute the creek maintenance agreement with the city of San Rafael in the amount of $28,000 per, per fiscal year, July 1st through June 30th, for a total sum not to exceed $140,000 over the five-year agreement period. Number two, authorize the Department of Finance to increase expenditure appropriations in flood zone six by $20,000. So Tracy, can, just to make sure I understand this, the the city asked for $35,000 in right. annual reimbursement. The advisory board voted and said $28,000. And That's so right. your recommendation is $28,000 rather right. than the 35. That's right. And, and, and there's a balance of over $500,000 in that budget for this zone? You know, I'm, I'm not sure if I, I mentioned that in the staff report. I don't recall off the top of my head. I'm sorry about that. Um, but it is significant, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to understand is why are we not reimbursing the full cost of the project given that there is a uh, significant fund balance? I'm not sure. I, I wasn't there at this at the advisory board meeting that happened before I started, and I haven't seen that the details of that conversation were not included in the advisory board minutes for that meeting. Um, this we are trying to respect the advisory board's recommendations. I could find out more information if you'd like to postpone this for another month. But um, I feel like the uh, one of the things. Uh, that it, the, there's, there's some time constraints to this item so that the city of San Rafael can get the work done and get reimbursed for the work this summer. Hi, Berenice Davidson, Assistant Director in Public Works. I have a, just a little bit more background. The original agreement uh, for this zone is very old. In the original agreement, I believe, the funds to go to San Rafael for the maintenance component was at $8,000. And in the discussions with the advisory board, San Rafael asked for the 35, 
the board simply saw that it was best to just approve the 20,000 additional per year. There was really no further discussion other than work with the city of Sanderfell and a bigger discussion as to how we're moving forward with the zone as opposed to just the maintenance component given that the original agreement was for the district to perform some major capital improvement project which we have none in uh, programmed given that there's been substantial amounts of work happening in that zone due to the construction of the smart um, trails and also the subdivision that occurred and as Tracy mentioned earlier, um, Supervisor Sackett, we have an internal meeting to discuss how to move forward with Flat Zone 6, and that's gonna be a bigger conversation with your office and the city of Sunderfeld. But for now, uh, we're asking for the additional 20,000 per year for the next five years. Okay, and, and I support that um, decision making. I appreciate the background with the understanding that we're gonna have a bigger picture discussion and I think that's scheduled in the next month or so. So I'd be happy to move this item. Second. Thank you, uh, motion Sackett, second Rodoni. I didn't call for public comment. Nobody in the chambers. President Mo Peters, I'm not speaking to Nikki. Okay, we have a motion and a second, all in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, uh, 10K. Next slide. Next slide. Okay, this is it. Um, this item is to uh, award request of proposals for the Santa Venetia Timber Reinforced Berm Repairs. Next slide. So Santa Venetia is protected from tidal inundation by a timber reinforced berm and levee. We do annual inspections to help prioritize maintenance. And during last year's inspection, we identified several high priority repair locations. At our last Zone 7 Advisory Board meeting, they recommended a $300,000 budget for levy repairs this year. We sent out a request for proposals this summer and received six proposals back. M3 Integrated Services Inc. was selected as the most qualified bidder. So based on this information, we have the following recommendations. Next slide. Award RFP number 2838 to M3 Integrated Services for a base price of $273,775 plus a $25,000 contingency of 9.1% for a total amount not to exceed $298,775. Number two, authorize the Director of Finance to increase expenditure appropriations in the amount of $150,000 in Flood Zone 7, uh, fund, two, fund 3270. Okay, thank you. <coughs> Any questions? I don't know whose district this is in. I have a, a question, thank yep. you, Tracy. Can you tell me about, uh, um, the landlords, whether they've been, or sorry, the landowners, whether they've been approached on this project and what kind of um, interactions we've had to date and whether there's agreement to do this work. We have individually contacted each uh, property owner and we have a right to enter from the property owners to do the maintenance work and um, they have been executed, the rights to enter. And, and they were all 
actually very pleased and um, happy that the project was happening. Great, I really appreciate that. I feel like that's a step in uh, the right direction with um, this project and this community, both the temporary and the long-term, so I appreciate that. Okay, I'll call for any public comment. Seeing none in the chambers. Oh, yes, please. So I wrote you all a letter. With Give us your name, please. Oh, I'm sorry. Sure. My name is Frances Nunez, and I did write you a letter, and there were attachments on it. So I'm hoping you all read it. I was surprised that Tracy what didn't wasn't given a copy. I assumed that she would have been, but um, anyway. Um, one thing um, before I get to the subject of the letter. Um, I would just like to say that one thing that Tracy did not mention is that the levy repairs that are being done, um, all the properties are on county land. And um, most of the levy is on private parcels, but the ones that are being prioritized for this repair right now are on county land. And I had had um, somebody, Lou Demerol, come over and look at my, the levy on my property because it's rotting out. Oh, the exterior boards have never been replaced. And he said that the property next door was much worse because a whole board was missing. Um, and after that, I suggested, I'm not saying that my property should be fixed but I suggested that there be a list of all the properties, all the levies prioritized by the highest need. And I really doubt that the highest need is exclusively on the county land. So I just want to make that point that I think the criteria for prioritization should be different to protect the neighborhood. Um, and what I wrote you the letter about was the, that the actual tidal heights for the last three and a half months, according to NOAA data, which is documented on the Public Works um, website, is that um, the actual tidal height has been up to a foot higher than the predicted height, and it's averaged about a half a foot um, and the problem is there is no gauge on Santa Venetia, um, Galenas Creek. There's a gauge on Novato Creek, uh, Coyote Creek, which are both tidal. So what we have to do is look at the NOAA um, tidal stations around the bay. And all three of the tidal stations on the Marin Map website are showing the same elevated tidal heights, and that directly corresponds with the USGS um, investigation of the 1997-98 El Nino year um, tidal, tidal heights. And they went back 100 years of records, they did all kinds of studies, and this is following exactly the same thing. Once the warm waters um, there's something called a Kelvin wave. I don't know if you've read any of this, 
But, but once the warm waters kick in, okay, I just want to say once the, it's, it's much, it is, which is starting to happen now, when the waters get warmer, there will be thermal expansion, tidal heights will be higher. The point is that on page 21 of this document, it says that in advance of um, combined storm and predicted high tide above six feet, or predicted high tide above seven feet, the contractor has to take measures to protect the um, property if they've torn off, one, they have to tear off the top three feet of the TRB to replace it. So once it's lowered and it's at that level, if this, these two, either of these two things happen, they have to protect it. There's nothing in there that says that they need to protect it if the tidal height is higher just because of anomaly, which is not really anomaly because it's... Okay, good point. And I, I see Tracy's looking and taking notes. So you're requesting they consider this, this year's climate difference, El Nino. Is that right? What? I'm sorry. You're, you're requesting consideration of this, this I, El Nino year. I am requesting... Year that you don't approve this item. This is about the last page, the last sentence of my, to get to the bottom line of my, right. my letter here. Right. That you don't approve this item without requiring appropriate language changes that will ensure that the contractor take the necessary steps to protect the neighborhood from high water in the event from water, to protect from water overflows at all times during the repair process. Thank you. Thanks very much. Okay. Is, uh, thank you for those comments. And uh, um, does Tra can Tracy have a copy of your letter? <laughs> I, I just want to say that I did ask for a copy that, of the list of all the levy repairs needed because I was told that mine went on the list. And I would like to know if that list has been made. Okay. If there is a list that shows what lever repairs are, are made and when they were last inspected. Okay. Thank you. Is there any comment online? There are more repeaters. There are no speakers in the queue. Okay. I'm going to bring it back. Tracy, is there anything you would like to add uh, to your comments on this proposal? I, I would like to point out a, a section in the um, staff report. Uh, I probably could have highlighted this in my presentation, but it does say the purpose of the subject RFP is to repair vulnerable sections of the TRB on or adjacent to existing county or district right away before this coming winter. Uh, the levy sections, we did purposely select sections. There's a good amount of levies that are in um, the State Tidelands Trust area, which we have, we can control that area. The rights to enter were the portions of work that we would be doing adjacent to the levy, but we were not, we were trying to avoid the um, prolonged effort of getting rights to enter and control of the property on private property. That's why these sections were selected in addition to the vulnerability that they are presenting. And do you anticipate coming back in the future do, do, would you be doing the same kind of repairs on the privately owned uh, we, parts? We are going to do, uh, we do an annual 
levy inspection every year. And um, I think there's some, I need to discuss this, uh, some of the privacy concerns about releasing this information about the condition of levies on all the properties. I'm, I'm con I think that may be an issue. Yeah, but my question, it was not the list, and I hear you just mm -hmm. answered that. My question was, this proposal looks like it's for the county-owned easements. I am I correct? It's not easements, it's or state tidelands, but this tidelands. controlled county control area, um, and we will be considering work needed in other areas. Separately. Private property, yes. Uh, yes, that's but what, separate that, from this proposal. So that's not, it's not going to be until next summer, the next right. season. All right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess my question is how are you prioritizing what, are you prioritizing ownership? or are you prioritizing the need for the levy repair? I, I can answer that. We have a comprehensive list of all of the repairs that are needed. These ones that are happening are substantial. We do have other substantial repair needs, but we have limited amounts of funding. Uh, the, the fact that it was easier to obtain this access to these properties played a role in the decision, but it's not the only decision. And uh, we are aware of the elevations that were brought up by the speaker, that information we have. All of this work is supposed to happen in the dry season, so that would not be a, a concern for the construction aspect of what's proposed. But this, this is, this is a project that has substantial needs of repair and we're working separately to obtain grants to do a comprehensive fix to replace that timber reinforcement wall. But we have annual maintenance responsibilities and we unfortunately have to go through the exercise of choosing how much we can do every year, but we cannot fix the entire uh, wall which is needed. I'll just make a comment. I, I appreciate it and, and assume you're using a process that makes sense for the project. Um, and I, t my mistake was missing that this would just be on county and district right away in that staff report. But then the emphasis on how the, the scoring happened does focus on residential communication and communication in the neighborhood, um, which I think is a different set of communications when we're in somebody's yard, I think that does need to be prioritized. I guess, um, you know, when it's with county lands or state tide lands, I'm not sure that that should be the highest ranking criteria. So I understand we've got to do portions of this as funding is available, but it, I guess it would be helpful to have a more comprehensive view the next time this comes back of how the county lands fit in and when we're talking about a levy, if you know if one property owner is failing, it it uh, it doesn't matter if the county's is protected or not. Frankly, um, and I also know this is an interim step, but it would be helpful to have a bigger picture of what's happening in um, this part of the staff report. I did want to clarify that 
the um, relation with the neighbors is important even, so these levees are on a sliver of land immediately adjacent to private property. Um, and they will be working in people's backyards. So that's why it was an important criteria for these, this consultant selection. I, I just did want to point that out, even though it is the two feet, we're talking about a two foot section of, three feet section of berm that's on this, on public lands, but it's immediately adjacent, like less than a foot from private property in many cases. Okay. So they will be doing a lot of the work in the backyards. Okay, thank you. I, I will um, will highlight the selection criteria for making repairs next year. Make sure that's as transparent as possible. Thank you. Yeah, uh, that would be great, Tracy. And I think to Mary's point, to to uh, you know, because this whole area has been uh, kind of in the news for us the last few years, I, I would suggest c come back with a an overhead photo or a map of the whole area and then the piece that you want to work on, just fill in as Bernie say you did. Give us the context and then zero in on what the particular piece is that you're focused on. That'll just help us understand and I think will help with the communications in general. Okay, uh, so for this piece of work, is there a motion to um, approve? I'll move that we approve this action. Second? Second. Okay, motion second. Second, Lucan, all in favor? Aye. Okay, all right, thank you very much. Okay, we're going to adjourn as the Marin County Flood Control and Water Conservation District and reconvene as the Marin County Board of Supervisors at 2.30, so hooray, we get a break. Mm -hmm. All right, good afternoon. We are back at 2.30, reconvening as the Marin County Board of Supervisors to hear a request from CDA to introduce and adopt an ordinance amending sections of Title 22 to the Marin County Code. Welcome, Michelle and Jeremy. Good afternoon, board members. I'm Jeremy Tajirian, Deputy Director of the Planning Division. And with me I have Michelle Levinson. Uh, principal planner, and she's been working for some time on a uh, set of development code amendments for your review. I'll let her take you through the process we've been through so far, what happened at the Planning Commission, and what we're proposing today. Thank you. Thank you, President Moulton Peters. Good afternoon, Supervisors. The item before you today is a recommendation from the Planning Commission to approve amendments to Title 22 of the Marin County Code, otherwise known as the Development Code. The amendments cover a variety of topics, which I'll describe in my presentation today. Um, I wanted to cover a few things before we get into my PowerPoint. Between the months of March and May of this year, the amendments were presented to the Planning Commission in a series of three public hearings. A project web page has been maintained um, for the proposed amendment throughout the course of the hearings and has been updated throughout the process as um, those amendments have changed. Public notice of the hearings was, uh, was provided in accordance with county regulations um, as well. It's important to note that the amendments to the county's accessory dwelling unit provisions are not included in the recommended amendments before you today. 
we are working on reviewing the county's ADU provisions in light of recent comments that we received from the State Department of Housing and Community Development. We hope to bring those ADU-related amendments to you in the near future. All right, so um, if we could start the presentation. The first slide. In drafting code amendments, staff's goal is to create code that follows the case principle. That is clear, affordable, simple, and enforceable regulations. Next slide, please. The topics covered in the 2023 Development Code Amendments include clarifications and corrections of existing code language, internal consistency with code and policy, signs, alignment with state law, a new allowable land use in the industrial planned zoning district, and an expansion of our design review exemption category for small retail agriculture structures. Next slide, please. Um, with regard to clarifications and corrections, code amendments that fall under this category include a new section of code that provides clarity regarding litigation and the acceptance of new discretionary applications for substantially similar projects, as well as adding language to allow architectural projections um, into required setbacks that are associated with detached accessory structures. Currently, um, those projections are allowed for primary structures, and under the amendments, those would be allowed uh, for detached accessory structures as well. Next slide, please. Um, under the internal consistency with code and policy section, or category rather, of the amendments, um, code amendments that fall under this category include updating the lot line adjustment section of the development code to ensure that requirements mirror those required by the county surveyor when it comes time to record the lot line adjustment. Next slide, please. Signs. Uh, with regard to our signage provisions, the amendments uh, propose to reduce the amount of window and clear door area that can be covered with signage. And this proposed amendment is in response to the LELA which established standards for alcohol retail stores in California following the 1992 Los Angeles riots. So that standard um, currently is 50% coverage is allowed, and that would be reduced to 15% coverage under the amendments. Next slide, please. Alignment with state law. So under this um, category, large family daycare permits are no longer required um, to be obtained under state law. And instead, these types of uses are allowed outright in all zoning districts. Therefore, this permit type has been removed from the development code, appeared in a couple of sections, and also the land use tables, specifically land use table 2-1, 2-3, 2-4, 2-6, 2-7, and 2-9 all needed to be updated to reflect that change. Um, next slide, please. Under this uh, category of amendments, we are proposing a new allowable land use in the industrial planned zoning district, and that would allow commercial parking and vehicle storage with use permit approval. And this use is being proposed as the IP zoning district is intended um, 
for areas of the county that are appropriate for light industrial and manufacturing uses and campus-like settings. Um, and currently, personal storage facilities are allowed in this zoning district with a use permit. So amending the table to allow um, commercial parking and vehicle storage would really allow a use that is similar to other uses that you are allowed in this zoning district. And then um, the last category is the design review exemption um, for agricultural retail structures. Uh, what we propose with this amendment is to expand our design review exemption for um, ag, ag structures, and that would allow small agricultural accessory retail structures that meet certain size and setback requirements to be developed without having to go through design review approval. So this concludes my presentation. I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. Um, thank you, Michelle. Are there questions from the board? Speak to the uh, changes in the um, land use for the parking, and why it w why the change, and why commercial. Um, I assume this does not include the ability to park, you know, RVs or something along those lines. But if you can just kind of give a little bit more context on that change. To best um, explain this change is to read you the definition of that commercial, oh my gosh, <laughs> parking um, land use definition from our code. Um, and that reads. It's kind of a long one. Uh, this land use consists of service establishments in the business of storing operative cars, buses, recreational vehicles, and other motor, motor vehicles for clients. Includes both day use and long-term public and commercial garages, parking lots, and structures, except when accessory to a principal use. Includes sites where vehicles are stored for rental or leasing, all principal uses are considered to include any customer or public use off-street parking required by this development code does not include dismantling yards. So the thinking was that this use is very similar to a use that is already allowed in the industrial plan zoning district, and that is that, um, that personal storage facility use. So that's currently allowed with a use permit, and the thinking was that this use is similar in nature and really consistent with the intent of that of the IP zoning district to allow it, but you would have to get use permit approval for the use. Thank you. Any other questions? Dennis, yeah, please. Thank you. Thanks, Michelle. Um, two questions, one slide six. Can you help me understand what a clear door sign is? Those are just glass doors. Mm -hmm. And then on slide nine, I, I totally appreciate the exemption for design review for small agricultural retail. I just wondered, just to make sure there's no other changes to the requirement though, 
because I believe they have to sell product that they grow in those establishments under the development code or cannabis code. And I just want to make sure that we're not changing any of that in this report. That it's not, the other uh, aspects of the definition would not change. It's the other thing just to point out, if we end up with a lot of these, there may be more enforcement needed just to make sure they're following the other rules that are on the books. So I know that's been an issue in the past, so thank you. Eric, any questions? Okay, um, Michelle, I had just one um, to add a little more info on the large da family daycare permits. So th are these now allowed by right, pretty much? That's right, that's correct. Okay, so that's good news. Uh, and I'm sure they're subject to other requirements, but, but getting a permit from us is not one of them? Do they need an, a, a business license or an operating permit? And I assume they have to read certain standards? It's my understanding they have to get a licensing through the state. Uh-huh, right, okay. All right, well that's good news. Those were very contentious in certain locations in the past, so. Okay, if there are no further questions, we're ready to take public comment. Um, and I know, Jack, you're, you're ready to address the group. And do you have the code area that, that you want to speak to for us? Is that part of today's amendments? Okay. And if you Okay. Yeah. So, great. You go ahead and make your comments, and I'm going to ask our staff to confirm whether or not that's part of what we're considering today. I don't think it is, but uh, but we'll confirm that. And the revisions, modifications, and changes. Uh, to include the development code sections that are that were adopted uh, I didn't know lots of people didn't know there are things are being changed and adopted which a lot of people don't know either but uh, to uh, carry on and have the burdens on property owners that uh, um, which as a result of restrictions that have been imposed now that will not allow uh, waterfront properties that are presently built out and used in Marin County to be built upon facing cases of inverse condemnation. In section 1V, uh, Roman numer uh, numeral four, uh, where selective property owners will be forced to give up their rights and record a deed restriction uh, uh, that will absolve, absolve everyone else of any responsibilities or obligations caused by damage or consequences of sea level rise or other related causes as a result of, as we've heard before, lack of maintenance or defective maintenance, or as we know, uh, having either the county, Caltrans, or 
other agencies, including the flood district, who simply have not paid attention to it, and yet we, we sea level rise continues to, to go up and uh, to, to have the individual property owners uh, damage their, their ownership, and it's not right. Um, okay, Jack, if I could ask you just to wrap up in a, a few seconds. Uh, and obviously, and putting and having to put a deep restriction also um, creates financial major problems because uh, neither a construction or a permanent lender would find that acceptable to put a loan or financing on the property to do what other right. agencies are supposed to do. Right. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks very much. Okay. Is there any public comment online? Okay, we'll bring it back. Michelle, is what Mr. Crystal was speaking to covered in these amendments or Jeremy? Uh, no, uh, the section that he's referring to is not something that uh, is before you today. Uh, these sections were um, not before the Planning Commission either. Uh, okay. What he's referring to are some changes made to the BFC zone uh, during the process of the safety element update. Right. And were you, Jeremy, going to um, give us a, just sort of an update on what the Planning Commission opined on these changes or w when they heard them? Anything? Yeah, I mean, I think we can probably go into more detail when we uh, bring back the ADU requirements to you. So um, there was very little discussion, some, but very little, about um, all the development code amendments that are before you today. Most of the discussion was really about the ADU requirements, and uh, subsequent to uh, their decision not to recommend approval of the ADU requirements, the HCD did an audit. They're doing an audit of the entire state, but they did an audit of the county, and then gave us comments. Um, now, the comments addressed some issues that we had not actually addressed even when we brought forward our recommendations to the Planning Commission and occasioned us to go back and take a look at our ADU requirements for rewriting those again and to, to essentially address the comments from HCD. We're gonna then return to uh, the Planning Commission probably in October at this point, and then um, once we get their recommendation, bring that back to your board as a separate item. Just as a follow-up to that discussion, um, I think that uh, knowing what's next, I know there's more things that need to roll out from the housing element and just wonder, uh, you're saying ADUs might be next, but are there other things that you're considering just to highlight for the board? And then is this something that Mr. Crystal raised an interesting, interesting comment, an interesting predicament that landowners will be in but it's my understanding this would only apply if you come in for a permit for something or a remodel permit. If you can't ask anyone to put a deed restriction on unless they're asking you for something. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so there would be a design review requirement and as part of that design review requirement, there are certain standards related to sea level rise and deed restrictions. 
Um, while not the same, uh, we have a considerable amount of experience with deed restrictions in the coastal zone in similar circumstances. Uh, for the last 30 years, we've been requiring deed restrictions. Um, you know, so th there may be effects, but not the effects. We haven't seen the effects that uh, Mr. Crystal has, has raised. Um, so we'll see what happens with those. Uh, so um, that's not really going to be part of any future uh, amendments that we're going to propose. As you mentioned, we are, we have all series of amendments that are going to be coming for forward to your board related to inclusionary housing, related to accessory dwelling units. There's a number of programs that came out of the housing element that we're going to have to address in a future set of development code amendments. So between now and the end of the year, you're going to see a sort of succession uh, of different development code amendments bringing, uh, being brought forward to address these various housing element issues. Okay. Um, thank you. Uh, we've had public comment on this item, and uh, it's time to bring it back for a motion and a vote. Anyone who would move this item to approve these changes? Yep, I'll, I'll move this item uh, to consider adoption of the proposed ordinances to the development code. Second. Okay, we have a motion for Doni, a second by Lucan. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay, thank you. That motion carries. Thank you very much. You're welcome. And with that, this meeting is adjourned.